OTB AM. Think of soccer managers over in England who would be really good guy managers. Nigel Pearson strikes me as like a Talton Cup winning manager. He's the English banty, is that what you're saying? Po- OTB AM. Live weekday mornings from 7.30 on the OTB Sports app. OTB AM with Gillette Labs. Get the ultimate shave or your money back. Neon Night Edition, available now. It's 7.30, it is Friday morning, and welcome along to OTB AM, we're with you until 12 this morning, and uh, we have an absolutely packed show coming your way. Shane Hannan, good morning to you. Morning, how are it things? It feels like about four months since I've had the opportunity to say that. You're yeah. Do you know what I was? Do you know what Avoid me. I have been like Jay Paul and Tommy Fury. Yeah, yeah. Where was I last Friday? I was in Manchester last Friday, yeah. Um... Do you know what I was last oh, night? Was I, I, was at, I, was at a, I was at the game. Not the game there, yeah. Stratford Ange, yeah. I was, I was watching Cocaine Bear last night. I saw you. It's a new film right. uh, that's out. I was in Lighthouse Cinema in Smithfield. It's, um, it's kind of like, it's going to be a cult film, you know, like Sharknado, where they yeah. put two mad things together, cocaine and bears. Right. Worst film I've ever seen. Is it, it snakes on a plane, so it does yeah. exactly what... It's what, terrible. Is, but, that what, is that but, what it's about? No, well, it's... <laughs> it's, it's, it's based on a true story where cocaine actually fell into a forest in the 80s, I think okay. it was, and a, and a bear... Uh, managed to fell into a forest, as in somebody from a, a dealer was like flying it over a forest and accidentally fell loose. out. Yeah, right. so uh, based on a true story, but the bear goes mad. It's it's a terrible film, but still everyone was was Gets laughing. The bear starts to get paranoid and like uh, exactly, yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's so bad, it's good. It's one of those kind of films, you know. Elizabeth Banks is the director. Yeah, yeah, yeah. which surprised me. I didn't as know well. that she directed. No, no, no. Yeah, Colin, good morning to you. Hi, hey, Jen. How are you? How are you getting on? I'm well. Yourself? You've been an ever present. We've missed Shane, haven't we? Um, ah, look, listen. A lot of the, lot well, I've seen plenty of Shane, but sure, you only come in once a week, so that's that's, uh, that's why that's why <laughs> you miss him. That's why you miss him a lot. Out. I'm I'm still um, I'm still recovering from one of the greatest disallowed goals I've seen ever. Really, last night in the twelfth minute in the classical Real Madrid Barcelona nil nil at the Bernabeu, and Karim Benzema, wow wow wow. This cross comes in inside the box. He chests it and volleys it with his left foot, and he's marginally offside. But the chest and finish is the definition of the work of a complete striker. I really You've got a do. career in commentary there. You're a, you stand about I, as excited. Well, do you know who was on commentary? Clive Allen. He was. In fact, yeah, do you know, I, I had it on in the background last night and I joined it, it must have been just after that. It I was just after. Last night. But I did think, oh, there's Colm's pal. That's there why I started is. to think about Clive Allen now. Yeah, the, the yeah. Does he watch much of our stuff? Uh, so does he watch much of our stuff? Give him a shout out, your, your mate. Uh, well, he's on Twitter. So yeah. I, I, I hope he does, yeah. But um, we'd have to probably alert him to the fact that we're talking about him. But what anyway, what a finish. Um in what was a, a so-so game overall but the first yeah. half was decent at times poor like a very very scrappy Sunday League style goal but this goal for people I, I really do encourage people brighten your again, Friday morning top 10 Benzema disallowed goal disallowed yeah. goals of all time it's, it's inevitable that, isn't it yeah, like 100% it's, do you know these ideas that he comes up at an editorial meeting and you're like you know the way you fi- have to find new ways to say yeah no, that, 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 <laughs> yeah. That's, that's a good one um, let's sit on that for a while and have a think about it <laughs> I get that at home as well. get that one on a Tuesday these be ideas I really haven't yeah um, oh, that was a good slot, actually. I can't think of a disallowed goal that was well, brilliant. I suppose, that, well, a disallowed goal, the reason that a lot of them are so brilliant is because the pressure's off. Because oftentimes the player knows that it's going to be disallowed. Well, and then you actually see the real now, the real technical ability of the player shines there. With VAR, there's an, an awful lot more drama around it. Like, at that point, mm. you know, up to a couple of years ago, it would have been the decision gets made yeah. pretty quickly and you move on with life. Obviously, it'd be a bit of a discussion around it, mm. but now it like drags on for a couple of minutes and oh, yeah. that in itself creates big drifts. The, this new rule of the delayed offside flag going up just in case that it actually is onside, where do you stand on that? Does it infuriate you? Because I know ex-professionals can't stand it. I've heard Jamie Carragher and Jermaine Genus to name just two 
ex-pros who uh, absolutely I think it's have fair a enough. massive disdain for the fact that the flag stays down. I think it's fair enough. I think it is fair enough because otherwise you, the lines person is interfering with play themselves. Yeah, yeah. Mm. just don't put the flag up. Sure, would sure. be illogical. Once you put the flag up, you have to stop the play. Sure. Yeah, yeah, and, it, and then you could have ruined the potential goal. You can definitely hear the frustration the the fans in the stadium. Because you can almost the the groans are almost saying like sure we knew that was offside why didn't you just give it mm. fifteen seconds later oh, but the the logic is fair mm. yeah it makes sense and then you have to apply that logic every single time even yeah. in the, even in exactly. instances where it makes less sense the only time when it's so blatantly offside which happens so rarely now because players are smarter yeah. to realise that like if I'm in any way uh, not marginal basically they're going to put the flag up I have a disallowed goal for you that I think is the greatest uh, now was it, the goal wasn't even given so it doesn't really count Pedro Mendes Roy Carroll United <laughs> Spurs we were talking about it yesterday in the office yeah I uh, I was playing a match for, for Monantown a couple of years ago pre-season game in ba- I think it was up in Ballin Mallard in Fermanagh and uh, looked over the touchline and who's standing touchline Pedro Mendes <laughs> <laughs> Roy Carroll oh, yeah, right. yeah, Roy the Joker was there. he was there yeah so always be remembered for that moment he actually was a great keeper Roy Carroll he was he's always remembered kind of comedically com- for he that is moment a bit. he is a bit <laughs> completely for that yeah. for that uh, slip of the hand where so. did he end up his career he <sighs> that's a good question did he, he went abroad somewhere didn't he was yeah, he, he, he was a rabid United, United fan yeah, I can tell you he's 45 years old he's born in Edisfield that's off top of my head but after Manchester United he went to I'll put it out there for the people. West Ham United. Uh, Is that where he finished up? I forgot about that. No, no, he went to several clubs afterwards. Did he go to Cyprus? Rangers, Derby County, Odense, Crete, Olympiacos, Notts County, Linfield, FC Mindwell, Dungan and Swift. Sort of list here, Shane, but that's that's all the clubs he went to after. That's yeah. quite impressive. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, that's what we're looking in that Pedro Mendes moment. It's an underrated um, element of that whole incident was the technique of Mendes. Oh, fantastic! It was, it was like Rooney was, West Ham, wasn't it? Like, oh, the, the Mil- oh, yeah, or even the Rooney Millersburg goal in the FA Cup at Old Trafford. But the he was faced a touchline with the ball bouncing halfway line. It's just because Roy Carroll made such a hames of it. Like, do you know? I, I've met people who called that a half volley. Do you know when the ball bounces up and it's in the air and you kick it? That they call that a half volley. But a half volley is when it's you double double on, on the ground. Like it's oh, like it's what do you mean when it's when it's actually fully bounced up? Yeah. Oh, oh you can't, that's not a half. Volley. Oh, exactly. I would I would say that's a half volley. It's not a half yeah. volley. That's I, a volley. Are you talking about one that you have to sort of go a bit sideways after? Yeah, but if yeah. The, say the ball bounces and it's up in the air there and then you hit it, that's oh a volley. yeah yeah that's a no that's a if half volley. If the ball volley. bounces, it's not a volley. No, but if it bounces and it's well up in the air, but if a half volley is like when you're no, hitting no. the ball on the half bounce. But that's interesting. I know it's not a volley. No, if it hits the ground, just touching the ground as you're kicking it, that's a half volley. Hits the ground at all? Surely it's not a volley. Yeah, it's a half exactly. It could be a half volley yeah. if it's low enough. I, I but if it's bounced, you can't claim volley. If it bounces and come up in the, no, up in the air, oh, no, no, no. you can't claim volley. Maybe different in Manahan rules. I was raised in a world where a volley was if the ball drops out of the sky and doesn't touch the ground Absolutely. and you hit it, that's a volley. And if it hits the ground first, it's a half volley. No, that, no, that no. Were, they were the, the rules. The ball bounces yeah. high enough in the air. And look at the creator yeah. of the Premier League footballer out of us, like David Miner was part of those rules. YouTube and look what comments. happened to him. YouTube comments. That's a What's a... What's a half volley? What's a volley? I'm, no, I'm uh, the, que- the question is: Is it still a volley? So forget about half volley for a second. But you're saying it's a volley, even though it's bounced, but it's bounced high enough for you to double on it. I would say that unless it's coming like Cullum, if it's come straight from a boot to my boot, that's a volley. No, yeah, or a head. Yeah, you can't I'd touch call, the ground first. The keeper yeah. can't touch the ground yeah. first. I call. I call that a volley. Bouncing up, 
there's about a second of the ball in the air and then you hit it. That's the a volley. B- fact that it's bounced. Yeah, the, the, bounce, o- the, the, bounce o- the only thing that's a half volley is when you're hitting it when it's just touching the ground. Exactly. That little sort of yeah. double down when w- it's which just is actually You're actually saying the same thing that we're saying. Because you're talking about seconds difference. Okay, so what do you what do you call in the thing where it bounces and stays that's in the strike? Half volley, yeah. Half volley, yeah. yeah. No, that's half not volley. A half volley. No, no, half volley is when the ball is low enough to the ground, right? So you're you're kind of getting the momentum of the bounce and the kick at the same time, and it's that that's the momentum. A, a half volley is when if you're connecting with the ball and the ball is not touching the ground, i.e., if it's anyway elevated, that's a half volley if it's bounced before that. Dave Kelly, it's a half volley if it bounces but is off the ground. Yeah, that's exactly. That's, I would agree that's with that. Robert Lynch doesn't even know what a volley is. Good man, Shane. Dunnick says. Doesn't even. Oh, this doesn't. You didn't, me you didn't even better. You another day, another dreadful take from Shane. <laughs> Christ <laughs> Almighty. <laughs> <laughs> I do feel yeah. later today, Shane. You're going to go. Oh, hang got a second. No, but, but it's hardly a dreadful <laughs> take. It was just. It was just what I thought was was obviously it's wrong. Wrong. Yeah, like it's hardly a take. I love that you. Don't read these in advance, like you're just like, halfway through the sentence. It's only a take if I'm trying to convince people that I'm that that is a. <laughs> I'm trying to work out what the correct answer is here. What's a it's not a mortgage. take. What's a track of That's a great ad. Uh, it's not my take. I, I'm glad to have been enlightened this of morning. Of all the um, things for you to get animated about this morning, Shane, I didn't. I wasn't expecting it to go on that route either. Yeah, to be honest with yeah. you, but uh, a lot of coverage of the Formula One across the back pages today. So if people are interested in that, <laughs> go and read about it. <laughs> we'll you talk to us about it. The, the no. people want They're, the volley debate. Do they? Yeah, yeah. yeah well, what's yeah. more? There's nothing more to be said about that. I don't think is there. Um, <laughs> Terrible return to have what he's we, saying. We, we can come back to some of the comments, but I, I, there's nothing more I did. I don't know. I, 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 this was uh, an online debate, I feel, about six months ago. And it was on Twitter, and there was a huge cohort of people Headers and who volleys. side one side or the other. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah, Nods of Oz. Nods of Oz is a good That's uh, a fair example. Point, yeah. Michael, yeah. Yeah. I, I, yeah, it's you a fair point. You couldn't play that if it fell on the ground, like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's that's fair. Um, I don't know if Headers and Volleys, the game that played in uh, council estates across the the world, is the is the actual way of deciphering. Oh no, I would say I think that's, take that. That's, that that's where the rules come I, I, from. I don't know if that game yeah. that's played worldwide is is that what you're saying? Nods and Volleys was um, <laughs> the whole the whole rule was if it bounces like that doesn't you can't why, shoot. Why do you keep calling it Nods and Volleys? That's what we called it. No, that's a. Would you have just go, why why? But why? It's a perfectly but, on, good have to be different. But, but we no, but we called it. Are you calling Headers and Volleys? Heads and volleys. What you call what, it? What headers, you call it? Headers and volleys. Well, well brevity was our thing, so we can concentrate on the football. Nods and volleys. What's uh, the quickest way we can and say this? Yeah. And we can go. Uh, this is a good point here by uh, Rob Ganaki, or Ginaki. Paul McGrath versus the Dutch USA 94, the greatest disallowed goal. Mm-hmm. Now, that, I was unaware of this goal until as recently as about two years ago. But do you, have you seen that? Now, that's a volley. The McGrath one? Yeah. yeah. Have you seen that goal where he flips over? Did first? <laughs> no, that's what I mean. It, he didn't bounce, so it's a volley. Mm. It's over his shoulder and uh, finishes into the bottom corner. Oh my God, what a beautiful strike. And from recollection, shouldn't have been disallowed? I think that's correct. Sorry, yeah. I'm getting ripped apart. And he totally comments. accepted it as well. He just moved on and was like, yeah. okay, fine. Fair well, enough. There, was a, there was a time, there was a place in time where it wasn't derogatory to challenge what the referee yeah. was saying. Yeah, that's kind of. I'm true, getting ripped yeah. apart here, lads. Shane spent a lot of his childhood inside, so uh, <laughs> not knowing what a volley is is clearly a sign that Shane is an alien. Uh, like. Sorry, but I, I, I'm surely not not alone here in thinking that when the ball was in the air for significant portions. I would of time, say you, you might not be alone, but there are other incorrect people with other, you. Other right, other doses out there <laughs> with the um, wrong answer. Formula One is back, Shane. It's back. Sorry, it yeah, excited. Bahrain this weekend. Um, we've got the the excitement of Las Vegas to look forward to in the penultimate race of this year. It's not till November, but um, 
It's going to be exciting. What do you mean we've Las Vegas look for? Oh, sorry. First Las Vegas score oh, yeah, yeah. I um, thought you were saying you were going to it. No, no. I'll, I'm not going to rule out going to a Formula One race this year. Have, have I ever told anyone about that I went to Spa at one stage? Mm. I'm, I'm planning to go to Monaco. Oh. There was a lad, wasn't there a lad who said he'd put us up in Monaco? He's, well, got, he's got an office overlooking the, the track and he's, really? he's, gonna, he's an off-the-ball fan. He was gonna, okay. Yeah, yeah. I was not aware of this information, but I'm most likely going to Monaco. Yeah, yeah. Free. Well, there you go. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Really? Can we clip this little bit and ask that guy? To oh, yeah, do let's tag that guy. Can you, There'll be loads of Who is that? I'm, oh, we, I, I'm we, well we, up for that. Because it's, it's really hard to get good tickets and they're crazy expensive. Like. Yeah, very, very expensive. But he's, I think he's got a, an office or something on the track so you could just okay. watch it. Um, and when you do like nibbles We could do a road trip. Would you do nibbles and wine and stuff? Oh, for sure. Cheese and wine, for sure. He, he he was suggesting we do a we do a roadshow of sorts, which would be fantastic. I'm not interested in that. I just, nah. <laughs> but then if you do a little bit of work, at least you can. Well, that's true. You know, yeah. Just pretend you're out there. Exactly. Yeah. Throw in an expense for a, whatever. Um, <laughs> give Shane a break. Carbon. <laughs> carbon <laughs> sorry, that's the best comment. Give Shane a break. Carbon monoxide exposure has a long term effect. <laughs> that's, uh, Don't forget funny, to check uh, your carbon monoxide alarms. <laughs> I'll be brown bread. Unfunny at the same time. Apologies. Uh, no, for, sorry. Formula One is back. Uh, I know you've been watching Drive to Survive season five. Adrian, I haven't yeah. looked into it yet, but um, Aston Martin apparently look look very good. We've got Jack Nichols coming up, BBC uh, Formula One commentator later in the show. But Aston Martin look good. I'm a big Aston Martin fan. Have to say, right? I defected from uh, who was I with before. Uh, Renault Alpine then Daniel Ricciardo left from McLaren Jesus, that's sport McLaren. I know what's the what? see I follow a driver Daniel okay. Ricciardo oh, okay. and, and then last season I followed Sebastian Vettel who has now left Aston Martin he's retired so uh, Fernando Alonso was my, was my main man he's about 56 he how's is, he still going I know I don't know how he, he does it yeah. I suppose they're only sitting in a car <laughs> what's Ricciardo's story is he He's a reserve driver for Red Bull now. He couldn't get a spot in the no grid. Way. So he's, he's back up to Verstappen and Checo Perez. Is that his is, first year since he has come in? Yeah, yeah first year being a res- like not right. being on the grid. It's, so. it's, a, it's a drive survive storyline waiting oh, to happen where a driver has a fallen out or gets sacked or yeah, whatever happens yeah. and then your man hops in. In fact, it? not to spoil the rest of season five, but I'd imagine it'll come up. It don't spoil it for me. Like I'm sort of, uh, I have great delight watching this series because I don't really know what's happening. Mm. And uh, you know, it's, it's absolutely perfectly pitched to someone like me. That's it's that, really good. Yeah, it's, it's really good. I have to say, it's, it's, I know we've chatted before about the tennis one, the golf mm, one, but yeah. it's really good. There's like, a big difference. Of it's the right amount of F one. I don't know if it, if it really lends itself to a series like that more so than the other sports as well, but it's so good. The F one, yeah, I want one hundred percent, and I think does this kind of. Um, I suppose exaggerate how great it is when you watch the golf and tennis ones. Does it actually help improve the fact that this was the OG in all sense of yeah. the word? Yeah. Does it, it only work? It, it uh, is. Does it only? Is it because of the sport itself that it works so well? Or have they just edited it better? Possibly. You see, the thing about, about Formula One is a lot of the golfers maybe were quite well known in advance. A lot of the golfers that, that are being covered, whereas Formula One has increased the, uh, the uh, I guess, the, the, rep, the representation of all the team principals and the drivers lower down the grid. A lot of them like, could walk through a supermarket in London yeah. and not be recognised, whereas yeah. now, like... Gunther Steiner would not be able to walk anywhere without being recognised. I'm sure he was the Haas team principal, the, the shittest team on the grid, basically. Yeah. And now all of, all of a sudden... I felt Gunther had sort of last season had become a little bit self-aware and had almost stepped back. He didn't, fe- he didn't feature as much as I wanted him to feature. Mm. Yeah, but possibly. It, episode one this year, I was like, oh, it was himself and your man, the now Ferrari, former Ferrari... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Matteo, Matteo, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, really, like, a lot of good insight into them. Yeah. Um, somebody says here, by the way... Um, PWC, uh, PWGC <laughs> says that Max Rushton who represents from. the Guardian Football Podcast yeah. will adamantly agree with Shane the half volley is when the ball has just bounced if you're hitting it when it's bounced up 
It's just a strike. Now, PWGC, I don't mind saying, that's not what Shane's saying at all. That's the, fact, no. the exact opposite. No, but maybe he, that, what he is saying, I don't know what he's saying. He's saying what myself and Colm are saying. Right, yeah, which yeah. Which is the opposite of what you're saying. Yeah, okay. Shane's knowledge of volleys is up there with his American accent skills and fascinating poetry. Uh, what else? Uh, oh, you skipped one there. Listening from Dubai, lads. I can't believe Shane Hannah was let into the building this morning after his Tom Brady impression yesterday. Thank you. I'm glad people enjoyed it. Oh my God, that's so nice. Um, <laughs> Shane and Adrian are right in what a half volley is. Colin and Adrian are right in what a volley is. It's gone so far beyond that I don't know what I said anymore. Half audience <laughs> when the ball is just on the way up, like Shane has said. Oh, there you go. Right. So you, you, what you were saying was that it could be a volley even if it's bounced. And what me and your man are saying is it's, it couldn't be. As in bounced, but like a, bounced like a second earlier. So the ball's been in the air and you're turning your body and you're hitting it. Well, if it's Why just it's, bounced, that's a half volley. But yeah. if it's in the air, then that's like just you're a hit, strike. You're hitting the ball when it's at its uh, apex height or on ba- on the way back down. That's oh, I don't still think just it's to do with height. I don't think it's to do with height. It, it's to do it's with what it's ground. touched before. Yeah, what, what's happened before you hit it? The whole point of a volley is the, volley the uncertainty is. of it. Look, this isn't a hill I'm going to die on, lads. But I'm just I'm trying to find the right answer. It feels know? like you, the reverse lights are on, and I think there's nothing better you could do, Shane, than um, you know if we le- if we left this segment with you going, do you know what I was that was wrong earlier on. <laughs> Yeah. Um, it does seem to have sort of motivated people here. It has, yeah, Brian's and Nods and Vals men as well. Good to see. Nods and Vals. Yeah. That uh, is like, if somebody in Black Rock was saying that, you'd be saying, come on now. Did you, you ever get, play get a grip um, on yourself. Did you ever play Belfast? You, you lads wouldn't have called it Belfast. That was like Ring the Doorbell and Run yeah, Away. Jack the Knocker. What? Do call it? Well, what we called. Actually, Ring I had this. Run st- fast. Yeah, exactly. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Perfect. Do you know what it was called in Cork? So it's called, what was it called in your It's called Belfast. It was called Runaway Knock. That's mm. right in in Cork, right and I remember telling people. Coast, I remember yeah. telling people about this, just exactly that story being brought up, and then everyone was like, "What? <laughs> what? Not become?" And it was, uh, but it's definitely a Cork thing. Knock, run away, knock, knock, run away. Yeah, what with knock a dolly is the other one I've heard that what is also it? called knock a dolly. <laughs> and when I heard that, it was like, so that doesn't tell you anything about anything. What At least our one is kind of uh, is, is explanatory, like it's self-explanatory. That's oh, what I've never heard it called that now. I kind of like Runaway Knock because it lends itself quite nice sense. It doesn't to say. actually explain what's going on though. Yeah, yeah that, but Knock Runaway does not work as a sentence. Runaway Knock does not work. You, make you can't do anything with it. It, 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 it immediately loses momentum. Like runaway Knock's a bit of a poetry to it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But anyway, it's what we called it and we understood it. So oh, I definitely understand poetry. Thank you, as the listeners well know. Uh, what about Tony Yeboah's goal versus Wimbledon? Half volley or strike? <laughs> I thought you were bringing that up yourself just to oh, get no. out of this. Mark Robinson. <laughs> <laughs> Mark Robinson is coming. The panic, like, uh. yeah, yeah. move on. <laughs> uh, Tony Yeboah's goal, yeah, it, 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 it was on the way back up, wasn't it? It wasn't... Uh... Which your ball, all your balls is a half volley, I can it's tell you. It's yeah. 100%, yeah, half um, A few other things to mention that we might come back during the show. Uh, Katie Taylor wants a fight with Chantal Cameron uh, in on the May date in yeah. Dublin she's like screw this out of here and she called him out on Instagram last night everybody's been watching a bit of Jake Paul and Tommy Fury from last weekend and everybody feels like I kind of feel as if I want to start calling somebody on Instagram now the way things are going go for it yeah. you know like 7 million quid for an 8 rounder where you get thumped around I yeah. mean I'd probably the, um, uh, I'd take it the post on Instagram was I mean it's a bit cringe it's not really it, Katie Taylor's it, style it, it's, it's not her like, it's, it's not, not her actually her <laughs> is that what you're saying it's clearly not her but um, it's also the type of thing that she's calling out Eddie Hearn Whereas you get the distinct impression that it's 
courses Eddie Hearn himself Eddie, actually Eddie writing, the, uh, writing the Instagram so it's, it's, everyone's like writing articles being like oh Kitty's can he stand up for herself? She's calling out Eddie Hearn. No, it's it's this is just the fight that that they're able to do in May in the three arena, so which that, is their schedule. So that's that's one thing to mention. The uh, there was a leak last night from O'Neill's that mm-hmm. uh, there was a new. Uh, it looked like there was sort of an obscure reference to the fact that there might have been a, they were going to produce a new Ireland jersey, mm. and you could just get a little shadowed snippet of what the crest on the jersey looked like, and it was the old shamrock with the old sort of. Yeah, style yeah. crest and it looked absolutely beautiful and people are going a bit wild for it but it seems even like you, that's not going to be the jersey even you who's not very patriotic you, you, were, sure, what, not, that, you don't have to be patriotic to like a nice jersey that's mad isn't it Colin what do you think what of that wrong with like, like, that's, even Adrian was like don't be trying to don't be trying to bring up a false equivalence here now to get yourself out of your valley half false no, no, to be fair the photo that was put up looked Looked delicious. very nice, very very, very nice, nice jersey. But but there was never any suggestion from the company that it was from O'Neill's that it was. Well, be like, they were saying the Shamrock's back, and what was the context of that? Like, I mean, what what did they mean? They also had today's date in it. So, I mean, they, look, it's done exactly everything they want. Oh. We were talking about it this morning. It was a light on Twitter last night, so I'm sure that uh, more on that and on. And then Spygate was the last thing we wanted to mention. The uh, Waterford FC had a tweet up last night to say that uh, they'd found an opposition analyst filming their training ahead of tonight's game against Galway United. Oh, uh, this is juicy. Yeah. We, we want to know, do they know what club? They obviously know what club it was. Uh, we all want to know now. Well, it was ahead of, I mean... I don't know, but they said ahead of tomorrow night's game. Ah, uh, yeah, playing yeah, sorry. tonight. <laughs> Those two but, things are separate bits of information. Of course they are. Uh, that that must have been the suggestion by the fact that they were pointing out to tomorrow night's game. Mm. Um, that would make most sense, of course. Mm. I know someone in the comments asking, was Johnny Ward the man? Yeah, I said the first <laughs> comment this morning, straight in there. <laughs> Tommy, Tommy was ready to go. Per Johnny getting... Uh, yeah, other people saying it's Johnny as well. I, I don't think it's Johnny Ward, but um, it, look, if you can get away with it, uh, great. It makes sense to get whatever advantage you can get in your opposition. I wouldn't call it cheating because, I mean, you're only... You, you, it's a good question. You can still change your... You know, if Malik O'Rourke was involved, Shane, that's all <laughs> I, I know. Was, I, I wasn't going to bring it up. None of this, carry on. I, I wasn't going to bring it up. I, I, I think it, it adds a bit of, bit of crack. Spice. Spice yeah. is the word. We, we can't get through this particular no. segment without mentioning the word spice. Spice has to be... Because it adds in a nice little sprinkling of spice. What yeah. sort of spice do you think that is? Like a bit of Chinese spice spice, or yeah, it's a bit of a bit of a spice bag, isn't it? A spice bag, yeah, good, good. Yeah, shirt. it's. Um, I don't think there's anything wrong with this. I think it's quite hilarious. It's it's obviously Waterford's post has gone viral online mm. uh, with people being like, "Oh, this is this is brilliant." But the League of Ireland needs these talking points, ah, doesn't yeah. it? I mean, It'd have been pure Roddy Collins fair, wouldn't it? Ah, t- in it's fact, he might have done that at some point or another. You'd like to think so. Book. There was a, the, it always brings to mind the Donegal, the Kerry thing, the Donegal. Lad up the tree down in Kerry in 2014. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, I mean, what advantage? If you're there for an hour, hour and a half, of course you're going to get, you're going to pick up some some tidbits. Thousand Island Spice, says Spectre Core. Not a bad shout. Yeah. Um, so yeah, if you, if you can do it, get away with it. We see, we only find out about the ones that are that people are caught. So this one, Bielsa, whatever else. How many times have people spied on, on opposition teams and, and never been caught? I'd like to know. Mm-hmm. So... Um, um, Espionage in the League of Ireland, says Hill 16, sounds like a Waterford Whispers article, <laughs> which is appropriate given the uh, mm. nature of who's involved. Um, go on. Sorry, Brian Slattery there. <clears throat> uh, definition of a volley in sport, especially in tennis, which is actually a great example, before it touches the ground is a definition of a volley, which is absolutely the case in tennis. And I suppose you could use and that for football too. Half volley, volley, the exact same. Well, I don't, there's not really such thing as half volley in tennis. Is there not? Not really. Ah, it's it's, more, of a for, it's oh, more of a delicate is. forehand winner. 
No, no, a half alley would half be alley. not re- not really, oh, not come really. On now. As in hitting it just as it. Yeah, like same, if it touch ground, it's, yeah, it's a ground. Ha- it's a ground stroke, really. That's a half alley. I, I mean, it's a it's a you could say a depth, depth. Well, I mean, so, so half alley in tennis has its own Wikipedia page. So I, I think you're. I, I wouldn't. I, think you're wrong I would say like that a half alley is maybe when you just think it with your wrist. I wouldn't say. Coming from Shane, I wouldn't say there's much of a half alley. Yeah, well, they have funny football for sure. I it's the exact same thing. I think they're from this position, and I think they're aware no, that they're I would wrong. say, I don't think so, no. It's just hit the ground. I if I thought it was wrong. But, uh, well, I, I think <laughs> mature recollection... I oh, I'm sure I could be professionally proved wrong, yes. But I, would, I wouldn't... I um, would I suppose a flick of a wrist at the net when the ball bounced just before... I Yes, oh, a no, ball in backcourt where it comes down and you're just managing to just get back to it. The only thing you do is just manage to get something on it as just as it's bouncing. Oh, oh, that w- at back of the court, I would definitely say is a ground stroke. Oh no! But I mean, I, I geez, if it's professionally the case, I'd be proven wrong. But I would Dave, say Dave is a dinky one. He says I, every shot that bounces in tennis is a half on it. <laughs> 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 yes, that's uh, that's undeniable. Yeah, no, that's talking. undeniable. Yeah, but no, I would say. Um, I wouldn't really label many shots in tennis a half body. The only one would be a, like a little dinky wrist shot at the net. I think just yeah, bounces. I await your statement on Twitter later on where you no, no, can from this uh, position. I, I, you I, could I, do a joint statement just as, I, as I've stated. I wouldn't. I just wouldn't. No, uh, no. I know you're too stubborn to accept that. No, whereas I, whereas I'm ready to admit the least. Wrong. Adrian, I'm the least stubborn person I know. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, five. To, Colin, thanks a million for coming in. Ah, uh, listen. Uh, thanks for having fun. me. Really, thanks yeah, for having me. You make it so easy. Thank you. Five to eight. Here's what's coming up. 2 now and 10 this morning with Ronan Gareth standing by uh, to talk all things Six Nations and plenty more as well Jilly Flaherty former England international it's a really interesting weekend in the WSL uh, more so in the County Cup with the uh, Chelsea Arsenal renewal, uh, renewal there so we'll get into that Jack Nichols is going to talk to us about um, Shane's love Formula 1 from the BBC uh, the season starting up again this weekend uh, you had to be there it's going to be very special we've seen his picks and they're very good uh, from Nordin Chowdhury the football writer and culture writer and he's really thoughtful about this one it's coming away Nine. And then we have Kevin Gilban, who was having Cullum uh, cut up with yesterday to talk about his point about GA goals and the skill of them um, from last weekend. He'd been in touch with the football pad about that, so we'll talk to him about that. We'll talk to him about Everton's chances of staying up and a few more other bits and bobs as well. So that's all coming your way. Do uh, keep in contact with us over the course of the morning. You are watching OTBM with Gillette Labs. Get the ultimate shave or your money back. Neon Night Edition available now. It is uh, five to eight. Ronan Agarra, good morning to you. Morning. Hi, Adrian. How are you? How, how are you keeping? Good. Very glad yourselves. Good. Very good. We were talking to you last week about um, Ross Byrne. Cullen was asking you whether he should go out and try and shoot the lights out, and I'm paraphrasing, but you had said no. Uh, he shouldn't try and force it. Be solid. Play his own thing. How was he? Um, yeah, he was He was good, I think. Um, it was, um, you know, I think... He, in terms of selection, I, he was playing for me with two twelves. Bondiaki and McCluskey are, are very much for me in the mould of, of uh, uh, number twelves. One is excellent, and McCluskey is trying to get to that level for me. Um, so, um, in terms of uh, someone at thirteen who can get the ball to the far five meter channel, you were. Uh, minus that in your team, which is a big negative. I think uh, it was exactly the case with Jonathan Dante when he wasn't playing for France. And it's uh, sometimes the case when your value goes up when you don't play. And we have seen that in this Six Nations when Gary Ringrose doesn't play. You see the value to the team, what he brings. So uh, from Rasburn's point of view, playing with McCluskey, playing with Bundyaki, it's a direct route. 
Um, but uh, when you're trying to manipulate defences and you don't have an outside break and a test level defences are smart, uh, it was probably a lot easier to uh, foil Ireland's attack than obviously it would have been if you had a, a ring rose, a Henshaw for me, an Earls, an Osborne, a um, Jimmy O'Brien potentially, even though I don't think he has played 13, but I could be corrected on that. Uh, so uh, how you set out your team to attack uh, when you strip it back, Ireland had, for me had two 12s playing there, uh, but uh, that wouldn't have helped um, Ross Byrne. So we're potentially not, haven't even seen the best of him yet? Um, of course you haven't, because I think it's his first Six Nations start and the guy's 27, you know. So in that position, you're, you're at your best at around 30, uh, but you need to be playing three or four games. So, uh, so much of the first 10 games in green is trying to get used to, to that level, because it is very different to club rugby. There's no doubt about it. At club rugby, uh, potentially in both teams, you could have even on a good day, well, sorry, on a high-level performance game, you could have three or four guys that you could find a lot of weaknesses in. In test games, uh, it's very difficult to find fault with a lot of players. What happens at test level is that after 60 or 70 minutes, mentally one of the teams breaks and and the lead changes hands quite a bit. And, um, you know, I would be in agreement. I suppose a lot of the, the feedback from the game was that uh, Italy's attack was the best attack that Ireland have faced and it was because uh, you know in the first 90 seconds Italy could have scored a chance or tried it a chance to rip Ireland apart and it came unstuck and then Ireland with their class went up the other end and had a try disallowed that, uh, but then a minute later off the restart they go down the short side and they score a try that's what great teams do they they get a moment and, and they capitalise so um I think, you know, you look at it, there was Casey, Byrne, uh, McCluskey, Aki. Um, potentially, I think, when you're the manager, the coach, you'd be going, these are my squad players. These are brilliant for the games that we need if we're going to win a World Cup uh, week after week. Uh, but as we all know, there's huge competition at nine, at ten. Sorry. Uh, at nine, at ten, um, um, at twelve, and at thirteen, because obviously, the, I think Ireland would go. Um, I mean, Henshaw twelve, Ringrose at thirteen, Aki at twelve, uh, Ringrose at thirteen, Henshaw twelve, Aki, uh, or sorry, Aki at twelve, Henshaw at thirteen. So you you have. Uh, a, a strong argument for going with okay. Well, that's our third midfield playing there. Mm. On the just one last one for me on the Ross Byrne thing, and just the point that you made there about taking it to the line. Andy Dunn was on with Joe during the week, and he was talking about that uh, the difficulty of playing ten. He said it was the hardest skill that sort of taking it to the line, fixing it to the defender, getting the ball away as quick as you could as a ten. He said he, that for him that was always the hardest skill, and he had like the ultimate compliment for Byrne, which was to say that uh, Finn Russell, Sexton, Garbisi, and now Byrne are the best at playing that. Uh, that he's seen in the game that Entomac is less good and that Farrell and Bigger are not good at that and as I said that he himself found it the hardest skill uh, to to master what are your thoughts on that sort of yeah on that bit in the burn context yeah but I think that was obviously something that wasn't in his game 24 months ago 
and he's worked hard and he's seen the pictures that he needs to get better at to give not alone himself a chance of shining a little bit better or brighter but also for uh, engaging defenders on the inside it's it's a huge um, area of the game or I wouldn't say an illness in the game but um, one of the work-ons for any coach is that uh, there are times when you're watching footage and you're not too sure of the goalpost on the sideline or the goalpost north-south. So if you're to track me in my thinking here, when you look at body shapes of an awful lot of players and release in the past, if you didn't have a side-on view of, of, of the footage you're looking at, you'd be thinking that the goalposts are on the sideline because that's where all their hips are pointing. So Because it's, it's safer? Uh because I think, A, they have a completely different mental image in their head. And B, uh, players are very good at looking after themselves. And I'm all right, Jack. But mm. if the 9, the 10 and the 12 are across field, the 13 is going to get absolutely melted. Mm. Which essentially isn't the 9 and 10 or 12's problem if... He doesn't have, a, a, I suppose, an open or a caring um, mindset for what's the best for the team. They can get away with probably having time on the ball, but the 13 and 15 are going to get four defenders. They're going to get chopped and there's going to be two people around them, which means that uh, you have a high likelihood that you'll probably lose the rock or you'll get penalised for, for uh, holding on in the tackle. Mm. Ronan, we've had a lot of discussion in the last week or so since the, the, the Italy game about the decision making in terms of going for touch or going for the posts and look, James Ryan did a brilliant job I thought as, as captain and, and that's not an easy decision for those of us who have never or will never set foot on a, on a top level rugby pitch just how much of that decision making process is, is, is down to the number 10 in terms of being comfortable with the potential kick for posts and how much is on, is on the captain Like, I'm sure there are discussions in the dressing room before the game but I guess a lot of it has to be reactive yeah, well, if there's discussions in the dressing room before the game, it's too late. This needs to be sorted out, obviously, as a work in progress and a general team, which I suppose is consistent throughout the season. Uh, but uh, what is um, where it becomes a little bit grey, and grey is probably a poor word to use, but where it becomes interesting is the fact that uh, what's the energy like in the opposition? What's the energy like in my in my team um, what's the scoreboard looking like is there a yellow card involved so there's potential uh, areas that cannot be discovered till the um, I suppose the heat of battle um, so it's the, I suppose the parameters for the discussion are, are quite uh, narrow yet uh, the one thing you're looking at, I suppose, is body language of the opposition. Are they vulnerable or are they? Uh, is it better to keep the scoreboard ticking? And I think that's um, easily sorted out between, obviously, the, the the kind of, I suppose, the leader, the captain, but also the goal kicker, but also maybe um, one or two others that sh should have an input. There shouldn't be just two people having an input, I think, that because... If one of them is the is the captain and the other is the goal kicker, it becomes um, a little bit of a one on one, which is not not good. The kicker should be 
not the decision maker in that. It should be the the leaders of the team. Even when the kicker is sometimes the key leader. Yeah, because, um, you know, I think um, there are different times throughout the season or in games where the leader, the kicker will feel uh, bulletproof, yet there are times it's impossible for, for anyone, no matter how good they are, to to, to not have um, a, a downward spiral in his performance or in his game. It's at those moments where the leaders of the team need to go, OK, it's best for the team, irrespective of how the kicker is feeling, that we're keeping the scoreboard ticking. If you're leaving that solely to the to the to the goal kicker, for me, it's a, it's a poor choice. Can I just ask you one, Ronan? We were touching yesterday, and it kind of struck me in terms of the Irish rugby team as well. We were talking about Casemiro and the impact he had had at Manchester United, and it's similar with that great Liverpool team of the last number of years as well, where they win a foul or for small moments on the pitch, they're celebrating, giving it loads. Creates a bit of a bond with the with the supporters as well, but it struck me at Wembley last weekend. Casemiro, you know, barely celebrates his goal and yet shepherds the ball out for a goal kick and, and gives it large to the United fans behind the the goals. I've noticed it with, with this Irish team in this Six Nations as well. They seem to really celebrate the the small moments. Is that something that 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 strikes you as um, a definite sign of of a of a strong winning mentality? Yeah, because obviously the environment is humming. I think. What is great, it's not the team that's humming, it's the squad that's humming, it's the group that's humming, it's the it's incredibly difficult to get into that team, even to get into that twenty-three, and that's exactly what you want. The team now has momentum, it's driving itself. They have huge confidence from their, I suppose, performance record and from their uh performance data, but also of their uh capacity to win games no matter how in November. Games at home, they were arm wrestled. Uh, we haven't had a tight game yet in the Six Nations. Some will say Italy is a tight game, but when you pull away by fourteen points, um, that that's that's impressive when you're when you're under the pump with a lot of players that probably when Ireland have a first, uh, I suppose, um, poll of players um, that they, they they may not be near that 23. So strength and depth is at an all-time high. I think the atmosphere seems like an all-time high. And now um, and they have serious options in so many positions where we've got to a point where one of Ireland's best players and will remain one of the best players or two of their best players in Henshaw and, and uh, Tyke Furlong, um, Tyke Byrne. The show has gone on and that's exactly what happens. Um, just as you mentioned that it brought to mind Brian was on again during the week and he was talking about the positive mindset in the group and like that they're not thinking about just getting past quarterfinal like I don't know if they're talking overtly about it but that his feeling was that as a mindset they're thinking about winning the World Cup does that differ from what you, the experience of your days in an Ireland shirt? No I don't think so no I think uh, it's easy to talk you know that's what the public do and people outside of the camp do but they have their own goals internally I wouldn't think they're talking about. They know what the long-term goal of the team is, but talking about the World Cup internally is is completely irrelevant. They're uh, on the cusp of potentially uh, doing something that very, very few Irish teams have done. So short or medium-term focus is trying to beat Scotland and trying to beat England. Then there'll be a, a complete reassess. There'll be more rugby played, and then 
in a few months' time, they'll make a plan for winning the World Cup, but they also know that uh, what they've embedded in the past uh, towards what they want to achieve uh, next September, October. But you can't just go from hurdle two to hurdle eight without jumping the other hurdles. So they seem to be um, stealing a lead in a lot of teams in their mental preparation, but also in their physical performances. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I think it's it's an awful lot of wasted energy if you're talking about uh, winning a World Cup now. Does this team feel uh, those interesting quotes I read from from Paul O'Connell this week, Ron, where he was talking about? He said, uh, in terms of cramming, uh, when 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 he was a player for the Irish international team, he said we tried to cram for the exam a little bit back in our day, the week of big games. For a lot of these guys, the work is done. Uh, do, do you kind of understand what he's saying there in terms of this team maybe being feeling different to, to previous eras? Um, well. What is happening now is that they're being uh, incredibly consistent. Okay, so the the World Cup is a different form, obviously, and uh, the brutality of having to win seven or eight games is it to, to in a short space of time. That's a different test, and that's a test that that can can wait. But also, um, what is very uh, evident now is that they have, irrespective of who plays in the jersey, a certain standard of performance and they have, I suppose, uh, performance measurements within them that they have to meet to to um, to achieve what they want to achieve. Uh, but I would say it would be very enjoyable also, being an Irish player at the minute, with the uh, detail and capacity or the capacity of the coaches that they are working with you know it's slipped under the radar uh well maybe at home um you speak about a lot of the, like someone like how paul has uh transformed the way the irish forwards are playing they're very very rare you'd see um you mean a turnover from a structural error uh their skill set is hugely Impressive, their capacity to run onto the ball, to win collisions. Their angles are very, very interesting. Their fitness is through the roof. Their capacity to do, I suppose, high-speed repeated efforts is, is is very, very interesting to watch. And their, I suppose, capacity to challenge the defence wherever there is space and moving that ball is what we haven't, I suppose, seen consistently from, from, from previous teams. Are you? Um, do you pay any attention what's going on down in New Zealand the last couple of days? Um, yeah, of course. Yeah, and, uh, obviously the Crusaders got a belt in Super Rugby um, at the weekend, and then they're going to announce their their new coach. So, um, in the next six weeks, is it? Yeah, it looks that way. Yeah, is your pal getting in at last? We don't know. Don't know. It's obviously them. Very competitive job, so um, um, no idea. Is it unfair on Ian Foster, Ronan? And I mean that in terms of you know he's got a World Cup to prepare for, and yet the timing of it maybe seems a bit strange. Like could could, they, could all this not have waited until until after the tournament, or is that or might be a bit naive? There is that too late? Yeah, I think that's the way professional sport is. You know, you can say it. Uh, Ian Foster has been involved for. 
so many years an assistant then is the main man this is his window to do something irrespective of how it goes he's on to a new challenge that's the way the game is going now so much of professional sport is uh, managed in advance to get your planning right to get um, the preparation right so um, I think from I suppose where we all started off in terms of this next coach for for New Zealand it's been a probably saga that has got on too long and has dragged on and now there would be certainty on it and I, but I would agree with you going forward is probably um, a better way of getting the timing right mm, There seem to be a, a weird split obviously between the, the union there and the players as well so see how all that pans out over the next while Ronan we did want to ask you a terribly sad week again for Irish rugby with the passing of uh, Tom Tierney and Brian O'Brien uh, Brian particularly would have been coming into the and you would have known him prior to that I'm sure but coming into the Irish scene around the time that you would have come in yeah, geez, it was uh, yeah, two text messages. Uh, one was obviously more brutal than the other, and the fact that Tom was obviously my age, and then Brian O'Brien was um, uh, a great age, but a fit man and strong man and a son man, and uh, yeah, it's um, yeah, it poses a lot of questions in your head when you when you receive uh, news like that. I think that yeah, everyone was. Uh, caught badly when the text about Tom came through because it was a huge shock. Um, so, yeah, it's 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 uh, incredibly sad, obviously, um, for for Mary and the kids, and obviously for Brian O'Brien's extended family um, and family, and they're very tight family. So, um, yeah, my um, my thoughts are definitely with, with both families this week. Brutal times. Yeah, it's terribly sad. But, uh, Brian uh, particularly always struck me as um, been in and around press conferences, covering games at that time. That there was a bit of a fatherly figure almost to him. Was that overstating it, or what was your experience of him? Oh, no, you're right. Yeah, very caring man, very decent man. Um, great sense of humour, good man for a sing song. Um, but also would, um, you know, I mean, pick you up if you if you if you were to. You know, if you'd overhear you're not saying please or thank you. Uh little things like that when you're being shaped as a young player and big on discipline, big on respect, uh, a hard, a fair, a decent man, um and uh would square up to you too, you know. Um love the kind of the the physicality of when we were in our prime as players, he he'd have no problem dropping a shoulder into you to to make sure you were uh, on guard, but uh, um, yeah, it's it's hard to to comprehend. It's a little bit like you know I mean, like Axel. You still think you're going to see the guy next month? Yeah, very sad. And as you said, our, th- our thoughts with both of their families this week. Um, Rona, thanks a million. Good luck against Paul tomorrow. We'll talk to you about that uh, down the track. Thanks a million. Cheers, lads. Thank you. Have a good Friday. Thank Cheers. you. Robert Agar on the line there from uh, La Rochelle. Uh, a lot of interesting stuff to say. Uh, we never even got a chance to ask him about the, um, the volley, half volley conversation. <laughs> it's driven the 
the YouTube commenters demented. Yeah, what's what's the latest? Good and so bad. A bit, bit of compliment. Uh, hang on there now. Hang on, hang on. Chris says, lads, Shane is the sole reason I tune in. The lad is a national icon at this stage. Lay off him. Ah, thank Chris, you're legend. To read that comment I'll send you that That's... 20 quid in the, in the post. Good man. Headers and volleys, says Led Zeppelin. That's heads what, and volleys, heads and volleys. I call it headers and volleys. No. Uh, that, that's, we're getting into semantics there, really, aren't we? I mean, Collins one was the one that was wrong. So much wrong. <laughs> the fact that he didn't even know there was a half volley in tennis shed to me was like... Uh, uh, that's bizarre for a tennis fan, do you know? Bit of an eye-opener, like. He's not here to defend himself, but still. No, that's, that's the best um, best way to have it. Um, 17 minutes past eight, you're watching OTPM. We're with you right through into town this morning. We've Kevin Caban coming a little bit later on uh, to talk about the GA soccer crossover. We'll have our Friday fire pit. I'm not sure exactly what's in the mixer for the fire pit uh, this morning. I'm not sure anybody knows, but we'll find out a little later on when Kathleen and Cameron join us in the studio for that. We're going to have Jack Nichols uh, to talk Formula One uh, from the BBC ahead of the opening weekend. And we're going to have Nordine Chowdhury, who will be uh, taking on You Had to Be There. And a very special one it is as well, coming your way just after nine this morning. But uh, you're watching O2B AM uh, with Gillette Labs. Get the ultimate shave or your money back. Neon Night Edition, available now. And after this short break, Jilly Flaherty on the return of the WSL. OTB AM. Right, it's nearly 20 past eight. You're watching OTB AM. Jilly Flaherty, welcome back to the show. Good morning to you. Hello, good morning. Settle a debate for us. I mean, I don't really think it's a debate, but you might sort of give us your view on it anyway. We've been having a, a debate in the loosest possible fashion today as to what constitutes a volley. Uh, Shane, on your screen there, thinks that, you know, it, the ball is allowed to bounce and once it's reached its apex again, it's back into volley mode. I would have a di- different view that once it's hit, hit the ground... Uh, unless it's a half volley, it's no longer a volley. What's your opinion on it? <laughs> yeah, no, a volley, you can't have a bounce. Like, when, when this bounce, that's mean it's reset, like it's done. You know what I mean? It has to be straight in the air, connection, no bounce allowed. If it bounces, no, you can't You can't claim a volley after Adrian that. set me up here because I had accepted I was incorrect and now he's, he's set me up volley, once Jilly, more. I'm not going to lie to you, this is the first time he's really sort of... <laughs> You know, he's retrofitting his excuses. And Jilly's a, a former professional footballer. I'm going to accept her opinion here completely. That's <laughs> yeah. fact. Um, right, we've so much to get to here. Uh, the international window done, the FA Cup break done, and uh, we'll spend a bit of time talking about the County Cup final on Sunday, maybe to begin with, and it's a big focus. And the last time we chatted was just after the semis, if I'm right. Um, uh, so it's Arsenal-Chelsea at Sellers Park on Sunday. Given what's looked like a general slide in form, um, and maybe understandable with injuries, um, etc., uh, they've lost a little bit of touch in the WSL. This has suddenly become a very important game for Arsenal. Yeah, it's a, it's a huge game because realistically it's the only thing they can really win there. Um, obviously, they are still in the Champions League. You could say also they're still in um, the title race as well. Um, but I just think for them, obviously the way they... I went to the game last week when they lost to Chelsea in the FA Cup and, I mean, they just looked like a team that was playing with not much confidence, um, not the, the Arsenal that you used to see with playing out, out from the back confidently and creating a lot of chances and, and being clinical. And I know obviously they're missing uh, Miedemar and, and Beth Bede, who are two huge players for any team to be missing. Um, but yeah, for me, it's, it, it's a it's a must-win game for them. Um, obviously, playing at Arsenal previously, we prided ourselves on winning trophies um, and Arsenal haven't really done that, that in the last few years. So yeah, there'll be um, pressure on them to to get a reaction as well from last weekend and um, and get the win on Sunday. Mm. 
they're brutally efficient and we are not uh, were the words of the Arsenal manager uh, Jonas Eideval after that game um, which you know in one regard I'm sure he didn't mean it but it does feel like a pretty damning indictment and a very hard thing to turn around over the course of a few days having been at the game how does he turn it around? Um, it's difficult because I don't feel like Chelsea were that great either in the day and speaking okay. to Chelsea fans afterwards like Chelsea I'd say probably sat in second third gear um, all game. It was a bit of a, well, a scrappy game, but you, it's what you expected. Players had just come back from an international um, break. Players were tired. Um, it wasn't exactly electrifying, but Arsenal had two chances in the first half, a chance in the first few minutes to go one nil up. Um, but they they didn't take their chance, and I just felt like with Chelsea, you know that they're going to keep continuing to create, and you know that, for example, Sam Kerr, is only going to need probably two chances, three chances maximum, you know, and she's going to put one of them away. Um, where I feel like Arsenal don't have that necessarily at the moment. Um, I don't feel like Blackstinius, the centre forward, is, has got a lot of confidence, obviously, which is natural after what happened in the in the January transfer window. Um, but I just feel like Arsenal need to be braver to get on the ball. I felt like the, the, the two centre-backs for Arsenal when they was getting it, players were running away. It seemed like players were scared to get on it because Chelsea's press was was quite uh, strong and, you know, they as soon as Arsenal got the ball, there was a player around them. But I just don't know. I don't know whether Arsenal were playing with, obviously, the pressure last weekend because they were, before the international break, they played Man City away and they were terrible, like the probably the poorest I've seen Arsenal play. So they probably had that pressure to know that they needed to have a reaction and a better performance. But, yeah, for me, I just think in that game last weekend... Chelsea were the ones who looked the most they were clinical but they looked the most threatening as well and when I was going through you sort of was banking them to put it away so yeah I don't know I don't know I just feel like he needs to probably let the shackles off a little bit and, them, and give him more confidence to play um, I'm actually from what you're saying they're almost a little bit more hopeful for Arsenal fans um, but you know you mentioned about Chelsea sort of been in second or third gear so is that sort of that you can look at that two ways, obviously, uh, with the e- uh, easy ability to slip it into fourth or fifth, or what's your um, or what's your view on that? I just feel like with with Chelsea, Emma's got the mentality in them where they they're winners and they find a way to win. It might not be pretty, but they find a way to win, and there's never any doubt from going into a game that they're going to win. And I just felt like Jonas done a, done an interview afterwards where he sort of just said we're getting closer to to like nicking up one off Chelsea. And it was sort of like, I, I was a bit taken back by that reaction because playing for Arsenal, not once when I was at Arsenal, did we ever look at another team and go, oh, we're getting closer to beating them. We we were the we were the champions, do you know what I mean? We was the ones who, we never went into a game thinking, oh, we're getting nearer, like, especially not against our arch rivals and, a, and one of the London teams too. Um, so I don't know, they need to just, sort of be a confidence instilled back in with Arsenal that you you want to be the best in the league. You want to be the best in London as well, you know. Um, so, it, But Arsenal play in, in a lot of cup finals as well as Chelsea, but Arsenal have played in a lot of cup finals. So it is a cup final. It's a one-off and you, you're hoping that a lot of players get up for the game and, and leave everything on the pitch. Julie, when I look at the, the schedule for March, it is a bit of March madness. Over the next few weeks, you've got seven games in, in 25 days, I think it is, for both Chelsea and Arsenal. Which which squad do you think is better equipped to cope with that uh, workload? I think Chelsea's is. 
I think Chelsea, obviously at the moment, they're, they're missing Frank Kirby and um, Harder as well, who, when you compare it, Harder and um, Frank Kirby are just as important and just as good as players as what Beth Mead and uh, Miedemar are to Arsenal. Um, but you have players coming in for Chelsea who are making the team stronger, you know? And, and so when Frank Kirby comes back and when Harder comes back, Chelsea, their forward attacking line are going to be frightening. Um, but I do think Chelsea have got the better squad. And I do think there's, with Emma, it's good because she rotates players a lot and she gives players a lot of opportunity so that when it does come to rotating, especially through heavy periods, that that the the quality of the team doesn't dip and players know where they need to be and, and they, they're match fit, you know, as well. They're not just sitting on the bench. But, but I think with Arsenal, when you do make a couple of changes to the team, you notice the drop in performance and you notice the drop in quality where I don't think you can say that about Chelsea. Is that volume of games a problem in your experiences for a professional football or is it something that you look forward to because games usurp training in terms of enjoyment? Look, I have a quote here from, from Ahead of Malango, the uh, Professional Football Association Chief Executive which was not long ago, he says, this is not a shoe factory. You're talking about human beings. Sometimes they get the feeling that we are moving in the direction that footballers are just machines. Is it is it kind of heading in that dangerous direction? Too many games in too short a space of time? No, I agree with that. I think, um, I don't know what the, the issue is in regards to the format for, for the WSL, but you think, for example, we take Liverpool, who weren't in the FA Cup last weekend. It's been a month since they last played a game of football. You know, and, and we're talking when mid-season. Um, so it's really hard. I think the best period for teams was obviously before this last international break because we seem to be getting at least one, maybe two games a week. Um, but there has to be a line as well. Like For me as a footballer, I preferred games because it meant I trained less. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I prefer playing matches all day, every day. So when we used to have a weekend and a midweek, I just that for me that's my bread and butter. You know, I, I love playing football and I love the game, uh, the matches. So I preferred that. But then you've got to look at. I also then when it comes to international breaks, I obviously got a rest during that period because I weren't away. Whereas players are now going away and then they're coming back and they're potentially doing two games a week. And obviously, Lude's talking about Chelsea and Arsenal being in the Champions League too. Um, it is difficult, and obviously. The way what happened with COVID, the fact that there's a, a tournament, obviously we've got the, the World Cup this year, we obviously had the Euros last year, we've got the Olympics next year, and then it's not going to be to the following year, um, I think it's the Euros again, and then it's a break. So you're looking at these players, some of them are going back to back, they might be getting two weeks off at the summer at most, um, and they're still expected to perform at a high standard. And yes, of course, everybody's fortunate enough to, to say that football is their job, you know, like... I pinch myself to say that I've done that. But at the end of the day, we are humans and players need to be looked after. And it's a, it's a physical job, you know, it's a very physical job. And obviously with Chelsea and Arsenal playing in Champions League, that's another step up as well, like physically. Um, so it, it takes its toll. Mm. Uh, even with jet lag, she's better than you was the uh, chant. I'm sure you heard it when you were at the game last week from the uh, Chelsea fans to the Arsenal fans. And uh, we haven't mentioned her name yet, but we did talk about the Chelsea goal threat. And she definitely loves a goal against Arsenal as well. Uh, Sam Kerr, what are they going to do about her? It's difficult. Uh, I said on Monday on a, on a podcast, they said, how do you how do you deal with Sam Kerr? And I said, it, it's hard. Sometimes you just can't deal with her. Like She's not just a, a number nine that sort of stays central and 
just holds up the ball. She she moves across the whole line. She'll drop into midfield. She'll sit in the pocket between uh, the midfield and the defence. She'll run on your back shoulder. She's to get the ball wide. And if, if I'm Chelsea and I'm obviously Emma and I'm saying, get the ball wide and just get the ball in the box of sand because even when you think she's not going to get there, she gets there. Like, she's so physical. She can out-jump anybody. Um, and it is difficult to keep her quiet, but the, probably the better solution is to try and stop the service to her. You know, you can. there's only so much defenders can do mm. to stop her in a game. Um, and it's ultimately, it's a 1v1 at the end of the day in regards to that. But obviously you're looking at the, the centre-backs, obviously Leah, if she comes up against Leah or Rafa on the other side, um, she makes it difficult for him because she doesn't just stay central and it's just easy to be picked up. She moves across the whole line. So for me, it'd be, can we try and stop the, the, the source of service at point rather than trying to stop her when she has the ball? Mm, well, it'll be interesting. Easier said than done, I suppose, is the point. Uh, the last time we were on, we did chat a good bit about Katie McCabe as well and uh, whether she's been punished around all the transfer rumours. Obviously, there was the chat about the chest infection and that certainly seemed to explain some of her absences maybe from the um, from the Arsenal team at that stage. She did, obviously, um, start last weekend. Start again this weekend? Is that all? I, I think I asked you this exact question the last time and we we, we were hopeful more than, uh, more than not. But is that all done and dusted now and... Uh, back to normal with Katie or what's your view? Yeah, I, I think he knows he needs to play her anyway. Um, and I think it's it's silly in, in women's football if you potentially holding something against a player. If they wanted to go, she should never really come out and said anything about it. But at the end of the day, she's still your player, you know, and, and you want, she, she's a very good player. So you want to get the best out of her. So pushing her to a side or not playing her just don't make no sense for Arsenal when they need her. Um, I think obviously she didn't um, play in the West Ham game and then people were saying obviously why she's not playing obviously she come on but then against Man City she didn't play and then she come on and people were like that game needed a bit of fight it needed a bit of grit it needed Katie um, and she probably come on um, she should have started the game and then obviously last weekend she started the game in midfield and she gave him that tenacious put your foot in the, the, the making it tough for uh, Chelsea, a bit like what Erin Cuthbert does for Chelsea. That's what Katie was doing for Arsenal. Um, for me, she has to play because she's probably one of only a few players who are actually showing fight and sticking their foot in and, and not making it easy for Chelsea. Um, so, yeah, for me, he has to play her. Mm. And has a bit of versatility, versatility as well, if uh, if needs be. Uh, everything is pointing to a Chelsea win? For me, yeah. I think, I think Chelsea are the favourites going in, but at the end of the day, it's a cup final and you don't know who's going to turn up and then how players are going to be. So for me, I'd say Chelsea, but I don't think you can write Arsenal off in cup finals. Um, Manchester United could move five points clear at the top of the, uh, the WSL this weekend. Gilly, Leicester City struggling at the moment, but they've won two of their last three. So, like, these are always dangerous games for, for table toppers, aren't they? Because complacency can set in and uh, Leicester really, really fighting for everything they've got. Yeah, I mean... I'm just talking about, obviously, I've talked about the Liverpool-Leicester game. Probably is a game when Liverpool thought that they was just going to... Well, they should have they should have beat Leicester because if you're looking at the position they are in the, the league and um, probably the players that they've got as well. But obviously, in that game, I watched that game, um, Leicester just had that fight about them. And obviously, Willie's got them very organised, very disciplined. Um, I don't necessarily say they create a lot, but... I think set pieces will be huge for Leicester um, going into this last period. 
Um, but they are only one point behind Reading, you know, and obviously Reading have got have got West Ham, um, obviously who are above them. But for me, it should be a, it should be a clear Man United win. But sometimes the WSL don't work like that, um, and especially coming off with the back of obviously you had the FA Cup last weekend. You've also had the international break, but obviously WSL is a completely different mind mindset. And obviously Man United are potentially yeah could go five points clear um, and be at the top. So there is that sort of they're going to want to win because they want to get that advantage on on Chelsea. Um, but I don't think Leicester will just sit back and make it easy for them. Mm, and you have City Spurs as well, so um, potentially goes along expected lines as well. We'll catch up again uh, over the next few weeks. Jilly, thanks a million. No worries, thank you. Thanks a lot. Former England footballer Jilly Flaherty on the line there to look ahead to the County Cup and uh, the WSL for this weekend as well. Do keep your comments coming in on that or any of the other topics we've been uh, chatting about this morning. The heads and volley stuff has really got people <laughs> motivated. Is that fair enough to... Uh, yeah, Ashing O'Reilly as well, our own, has replied on Twitter to the clip of the debate this morning yeah. on What a Volley. She says, I agree with Shane Hannon. I always well, got on well with Ashing, always liked her. Yeah, yeah. And uh, this is just confirmed. But her judgment, you would say, is oh, no, in question no. a little bit. No brilliant now, judgment. Particularly that you have since recanted those comments and said that you were, in fact, wrong. See, I, I'm thinking, do, do you remember the way Don't Rooney, do another, another no, flip flop here now. Do you know, do you remember the Wayne Rooney goal against West Ham from the halfway line? Yeah. Where the ball. It wasn't a half folly like yeah. in, that, in the natural sense. It was the ball bounced up, yeah. and then he smacks it. Not, not so, a vo- famously so, not a volley or, or a half folly. So are we calling that a strike? So what? what well, like, one thing we know for sure is it's my not, question is what are we calling volley. that? It, if it, it, you know within the rules, you could stretch it to a half volley. Definitely not a volley. I would argue. The, I would argue it's more of a volley than a half folly because the ball has bounced an eon ago. Well, the point I'm not the, saying it's a volley either, well, but what point, are we, we calling a strike? It, it'll be either neither or a half volley. It's definitely not a volley. Oh, Jesus, I don't know. Um, I've just I've just tried to put an end to this debate by looking it up on. Um, we've had enough of this. Dictionary.com. Right, a strike or kick of the ball made before it touches the ground. Right. So it cannot, by its very definition have hit the ground. Forget about half volley for a minute. We're only talking about a volley. There's, a volley cannot... At that point, it's a beautiful-looking strike. If it's, you know, as you said, reaches apex and you're nearly having to come at it from a side... Before it touches the ground. Point of view. So say the ball bounces and then it just flicks off someone's knee and then you hit it. Just, just taps off someone's knee. That's a knee. volley. Right. See, this is all fucking stupid, That's isn't it? That's a volley. That's, if, it if it's come from a body part to you... Okay. Then it's a volley. Dennis says, who interviewed Shane for OTB? Can't remember, but uh, thanks for the for the support. It's it's led to a, to probably more split rancor, I'd say rancor than than I expected. I'm just glad to have been enlightened. If if I was wrong, I a hold lot my of hands people up. saying that about you, Shane. That there's a lot yeah. of rancor going on with you. Rancor, yeah. Is that, is that how you pronounce what they're saying? <laughs> rancor. I have to be careful with the pronunciation there, but um, yeah, fair fair enough. Look, if, if, if people wrong, have a, have an incorrect view like you have on it about what to I'm be fair, Jilly Flaherty, I take Jilly's that's, that's, that's the you know she's a professional footballer. Yeah. But I'm sure I'd, I'm sure there are professional footballers who will say, I'm sure there's not. I'm sure there's not. <laughs> I'm sure there's not I'm one. I don't know. We're we're here for it. We're here yeah. for it. If anybody feels it's that got way. people talking anyway, that's for sure. Yeah. Right, you're um, take it away. Yeah, Formula One returns this weekend. Uh, Bahrain Grand Prix this uh, Sunday afternoins uh, Jack Nichols BBC Formula One commentator joins us on the line good morning Jack how are things 
Morning, all good, thank you. Keeping well, uh, are you as excited about this season as, as the rest of us? I mean, Max Verstappen's win last year has led us to believe that, that he's, he's on the way up. Lewis Hamilton, of course, still searching for that eighth world title. Is it going to be a procession for Max this year or can you see a challenger? I think it's it's difficult to know because it's the longest Formula One season in history, 23 races from now until the end of November. And although we've just had three days of pre-season testing here in Bahrain and it looks like Red Bull are strong, you never know what's going to happen over the course of the year because Ferrari started the season last year strongest and Red Bull went on to dominate. So I think that it is ominous looking for for Verstappen or for those who maybe don't want Verstappen to win um, but I think they're going to be the the strongest out the blocks but we've got a long way to go they've made improvements to their car as well Red Bull this this Honda engine everyone knows is very very strong it, it, does that make it a little bit more ominous for for opposing teams because you mentioned the testing Red Bull have been oozing confidence in testing it has to be said yeah and I think a lot of the other teams are sort of playing their chances down a little but that is kind of how red bull roll isn't it you know they're a very aggressive kind of brand and team and they're always saying yeah we're the better and verstappen as well is not exactly a a guy lacking in confidence should we say whereas you know the ferraris and the mercedes of this world tend to be a little bit more or oh, you know we'll see what happens can't read too much into testing so i think that red bull have made improvements mercedes have made a good amount of improvement but they were so far off last year that they've got so far to catch up you know so as even though they've done a good job and uh and, and have closed the gap a little we'll we'll have to wait and see exactly how close they are such a disappointing year for for mercedes and, and hamilton in particular last season jack sixth in the driver standings further back than i'm sure even he would have would have expected some of the comments that, that i'm hearing from toto wolf uh, in the last couple of weeks have been quite surprising he said uh, at the launch of their car so we have to have a car capable of challenging for the championship eventually and George Russell as well used the word eventually twice in one answer to press conference. This word eventually, does it strike you as a bit of almost ex- accepting that they're not quite at the level of Red Bull this year and they're looking even further down the line? I, 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 it's, it's impossible to know what eventually means, isn't it? I think that's the thing. Like Maybe they mean halfway through the season yeah. is eventually. And in which case, if they can stay close to Red Bull for the first half of the year then eventually they can start to mount a title challenge. But they may mean eventually means 2026 when there's a whole new load of rule changes. So I think it's going to be really interesting to see what happens there, especially because, you know, Hamilton is getting towards the end of his career and everyone's always like, oh, when's he going to retire? When's he going to retire? And he says he's not going to and he's going to do a few more years. But as you say, sixth in the championship last year. I mean, I guess for Hamilton, if he's sixth or third or second it kind of doesn't really make any difference you know because he's here for the for the championships and i don't think he'll be sixth in the standings this year i think they'll be a little better than that mercedes but will they be able to have him fight for a championship which would be his eighth championship which is kind of the the record he's aiming for no one's won eight before hamilton and schumacher are, are tied on seven so it's very strange how um yeah, sort of downbeat, I suppose, Mercedes are. But maybe they're just trying to keep expectations in check. Temper them a bit. Yeah, possibly. It could be a, it yeah. could be a nice uh, way to approach it. But the, it, Hamilton's been in the, the headlines as well in the off-season. We've had all this discussion around freedom of speech. Um, fairly controversial winter. The FIA president, Mohammed Ben Suleyem, uh, fairly upset the drivers, it has to be said. Uh, apparent ban on free speech. He said that he then backtracked 
and then taking a back seat from, from day-to-day running of F1, Lewis Hamilton came out and said, I'm going to continue to say exactly what I want. Has this been a, been a distraction that Formula One didn't need in the off-season? Um, I think I think the the lack of um, the, the sort of weird direction that the FIA president took in those various scenarios was very strange. I don't think it's really become too much of a distraction for the for the sport, really, because I think now, especially now that, as you say, Mohammed bin Salim has decided to step back from the sort of day to day running of Formula One. I think that'll quieten down a little bit. But it was all very odd, all of that stuff especially because i mean hamilton has been in uh not exactly hot water with the fi over the last few years but you know he went and wore um a t-shirt on uh the podium i can't remember exactly where it was but it said um you know arrest the cops that killed brianna taylor was you know all his t-shirt said and on the podium and so that you know talking about quite emotive subjects and i think the fia are always keen to um suggest that sport and politics can be separated not in a dissimilar way you know formula one races in qatar and saudi arabia and here in bahrain you know countries that maybe don't necessarily have a a great reputation throughout the world but and we and we saw the fia well they kind of behave in the way that that fifa do right with qatar and the world cup there where it's oh we're separating sport and politics and um, Harry Kane can't wear, wear the rainbow armband and, you know, all those sorts of things is an attempt from, you know, the governing bodies to to separate the location they're in and the political uh, consequences of that from what from the drivers and, and the sport ultimately is kind of their goal. Jack, do you watch Drive Survivor? Is it too lowbrow for somebody who's uh, involved in the sport? As you, I'm, uh, I, 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 uh, yeah, I, I have to watch them because I do some of the commentary for it. So yeah. some of those shouting guys going, "Oh, Hamilton, that's me." So, One of the yeah, stars of the show. It. Okay, so uh, well, yeah, well, not quite. <laughs> are they? Um, are you doing those in post, or are they? Is, um, am I asking too much here? <laughs> no, it's a, it's it's a mixture, honestly, because okay. uh, I, I do the commentary for the BBC, but. Drive to Survive aren't then allowed to use the the rights of the BBC commentary, so I then have to go in and say exactly what I said before. Okay, so, <laughs> rinse, 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 it's quite funny. is it tough to manufacture excitement? You know, when you're when it's already happened, I guess. The thing is, I think I always think I've done an all right job, and then I watch them back, and it's like, oh, that's terrible. Terrible stuff. And, it's good to know, uh, we're, you know, good to know in, we're all in the same boat on that one, Jack. That's a <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. And the internet is full of being like, oh, this fake commentary is terrible. So. Yeah, it is tough to do, and I don't know why, because you say exactly the same thing in exactly the same tone, but you're just lacking a little bit of something. I don't know, you know. Yeah, it happens. But some of more... the, a lot of the commentary in it is 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 real from the from the Sky Guys and stuff. So yeah. I just there to sort of fill in the gaps a little. It happens more. We're revealing too much behind the curtain here, of course, but it happens more in this industry than uh, than I think people are aware of. Um, yeah, has it had a so I'm uh, dri- I watch Drive Survive religiously. We've been chatting about it earlier on. I love it. I don't really watch F1 races because uh, they just don't fall at a good time for me. Uh, <laughs> and there might be a follow-on question from that in a second. But has it had like a bleed of audience from from Drive Survive to those interested in watching around and watching races from from what you can see? Yeah, absolutely huge. The 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 Drive to Survive impact, especially in America, has been has been massive. And I think, but there is a there is a sort of in, I'm hearing sort of very anecdotal stories from people now where it's like if they've watched Drive to Survive, got into Formula One, they then don't 
watch drive to survive the next year because they know what happened the first year they watched drive to survive it was all a big you know discovery who's this what's this <laughs> then you get into the to the sport watch it for a season you don't need to watch the next season of drive to survive because you watched the last season which is quite interesting and apparently there's a um apparently some of the drivers are being asked you know oh when are you filming the next series of drive to survive and they're like no 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 it's a, it's a racing it's a racing right. championship like we race that's real <laughs> What uh, we we were uh, chatting about it yesterday in advance of the show, just about like so that point that you know it's very much my experience, but I do find it hard to sit down and commit the time to watch it at the weekend with everything else going on. It was is there any argument for putting um, moving it to a week day or week night? Has that ever been discussed, or is that an absolutely ludicrous notion? I I don't think it is a ludicrous notion. It's never been seriously discussed from from what i can tell nascar in america i think do some weeknight races they do it quite a lot actually and um there's there was but only because of covid but a, a championship called formula e an electric racing championship did a few sort of evening races but it's an interesting theory i think that I, I don't know. yeah i don't really know what to say about that because I know, it's, it's a, a really it's interesting thought and and when you when you think look at how um, as you say, congested like sports weekend schedules. I mean, we have it right because we are. My commentary goes on five live, but mm. there's always a two o'clock Premier League kickoff or a four o'clock Premier League kickoff. So most of the time, until you get into the proper summer, um, we're on you know five sports extra or the BBC website or whatever because football obviously takes priority for for a lot of people. So. It's a it's it's an interesting thought um, and one I've not really thought of before. It's a good job. Yeah, Jack. The, one of the, the the teams in testing that is, that have really excited a lot of people have been have been Aston Martin. I like many others. I'm a big fan of, of Fernando Alonso and that decision to leave Alpine last year. Everyone was thinking, well, what's he doing? But turns out, I mean, if you look at the Aston Martin car in testing, it's a beast. And um, I guess the question is. Can it challenge Mercedes? Like, is this a car that, that could be pushing for, for second in the Constructors' Championship, or, or am I getting ahead of myself? I, I, it, the, I think everybody, from what it looked like in testing, maybe. It looked as though Red Bull and Ferrari are probably the two front runners, mm. but then maybe Aston Martin are a third quickest. But I think everybody's a little reluctant to really commit to that for the same reason that, that you are, because it's a, it's still, well... It's a team that were the Jordan team and then Force India. And they're kind of they've had a load of uh, investment from billionaire team owner Lawrence Stroll. And they're making the investment and they're trying to push towards the front. But they're still, you know, it feels like they should still be quite a few years away from that. But I think everybody wants them to to get towards the front. And then Fernando Alonso back at the front would be a great story. Mm. So I think everybody, almost everybody in the paddock would really like that to be a case with Alonso on the podium and fighting for wins for Aston Martin. I mean, that's a really cool story, but everyone's just a little bit, there must be something that doesn't add up because Fernando Alonso spent his whole career making the wrong decisions of which team to join. So, and Aston Martin have spent their whole time sort of in the midfield. So to think that Aston Martin are going to be at the front with Alonso, who's made the correct career decision for once it's like it's too good to be true mm. almost you know so uh, I think there's a little bit of scepticism about it still and he hasn't won a race I think since 2013 so that'll be something that'll be nice to, to see this this season for sure you mentioned Ferrari there um, and, and Seth and Adrian were talking about it earlier they've replaced their team principal of course Mattia Benotto is out Fred Vasseur is in uh, 
loads of, of race strategy errors, uh, unforced race strategy errors last season that, that kind of overshadowed Ferrari's uh, campaign. How do you think they can, they can fare this year? Have they, have they possibly stamped out all of those mistakes, do you reckon? Well, I think it'll take a bit of time. But Fred Vasseur, as you say, has come in from the Alfa Romeo team. He's the first outside hire for a Ferrari team principal for 30 years. The last one was Jean Todd in 1993. Ever since then, Ferrari have promoted from within. And you kind of get the feeling that just perpetuates or continues the culture within the team. And so Fred Vasseur has come in and he's instantly moved the the head of strategy back to Marinello. So he's not coming to the track anymore. That'll be a sort of change in the strategy plan, which was, as you say, in, incredibly needed after after last season. So it looks as though they're taking the, the right steps, at least. And they are, you know, for all of the negativity around last season, it was the most competitive they've been for a long time. So they are moving in the general right direction and i think vasseur is a really interesting appointment you know he's an he's a no-nonsense frenchman again the first frenchman or the first non-italian to be in charge of that team since jean todd Mm -hmm. when he left in 2006 or 7 i think it was i think it was 2006 so things are changing at ferrari and i think that can only be a good thing and i think they realized it's it's an absolutely necessary thing Uh, finally jack just to get your your prediction this is always the awkward and tough part uh predictions for the season in terms of constructors championship drivers championship and maybe the the rookie that's going to stand out as well i'm looking at the so we've got logan Sargent in at williams the first american driver in uh, in almost 10 years in formula one nick devries is in with alfa tori and uh, oscar piastri with uh, with mclaren so who's your pick for constructors championship drivers championship and, and maybe rookie of the year I mean, I, don't, I uh, like uh, every part of me not wants to not say Max Verstappen and Red Bull for the for the teams and the and the drivers. I think that, but I couldn't pick. I, I couldn't pick who would beat them. You know yeah. what I mean? Like it could be Ferrari. I think they could have a shot if Mercedes can get on top of their car. You know, in, in the first quarter of the year, maybe they could have a shot. But I, I'd be too scared to pick one of those over Verstappen you know uh and as for the rookie I think Oscar Piastri is a is a driver that everybody's really excited about he's won everything he's raced in on his way up the junior formula up against Lando Norris at McLaren is going to be a really really tough ask for him that's a bit of a baptism of fire but (laughs) we see it with the best when Lewis Hamilton came in in 2007 and immediately matched Fernando Alonso that's when you know that these kids have got it. So I'm excited to see what the Australian Oscar Piastri can do at McLaren. And we look forward to following your coverage and uh, listening to you on Drive to Survive. Jack Nichols of the BBC, <laughs> thanks a million. No worries. Thanks a lot. Thanks a lot. Uh, really good stuff there. Um, this, ep- this Volley Talk episode says, <laughs> Bo Sang David on uh, YouTube, this uh, Volley Talk episode is like the Fly episode of Breaking Bad. It'll become a cult classic it's fair and I actually really enjoyed the fly episode of Breaking Bad I know a lot of people hated it we studied made, in college made because they no, they ran out of budget yeah but but it was it, it was thematically very interesting it was brilliant yeah yeah it, like, it meant a lot of things like absolute people say cult classic in some sort of a like negative tones yeah no cocaine bear, cocaine bear is a cult classic for all the wrong reasons right but Breaking Bad the fly episode for all the right reasons, yeah. as far as I'm concerned. So, sorry, uh, D- Danny Mac has said, Parchee song, Dennis Burkamp, now volleys.
Say what you want, but Young Hannon, it ain't boring. The Dennis Bergkamp one was, was not me, it was Colm. Colm yesterday was comparing Vaud Veghorst to Dennis Bergkamp. Stop, stop, stop. That, that was not me, that was not me, so I'm, I'm going to... But the Portuguese song one, world-class player, for Should sure. be some sort of a delay. As is leaky. Do you know the way Talk to Joe has, like, a, you know, a dump button? Yeah, yeah, yeah. like that one. Just to turn off the microphone. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, right, oh, Friday Fire Pit is up next. I don't know what's going to be on the menu for that, but we shall find out imminently. Cameron and Kathleen standing by. What is it called, Friday Fire Pit? Friday Fire Pit. Friday. So we just put a bit more thought into dominating miserable the comments box this morning. Miserable you got to call it like it is. It's Friday like what? what? The Friday Fire Pit. Good morning. <laughs> Welcome back to the show. <laughs> Kathleen, Cameron, good morning to you. Morning, guys. Adrian, how are you? I'm okay. Who's taking control of this thing? I'm glad it's the Friday. I'm, usually we've been getting a lot of hate in the comments on the Friday Fire Pit because the crappy quiz hasn't been on. So everyone's like, where's the bloody quiz? But the crappy quiz, I'm told, is on today. Mm. So uh, instead of Rest leaving those negative assured, comments, folks. Just, just tell us in the comments how much you love the Fire Pit because yeah, the quiz today. that'd be great. Well, we because we have um, Nas Chowdhury's list, so it's like a Friday match today rather than a Fire Pit. We have to Fantastic. go through this quickly. Um, we'll start with the volley thing because I think that's... Really? That's we caught people's we attention. We definitely haven't talked enough about it. Yeah. No, I, I think... <laughs> glad you, I'm glad you I mean, we literally have a former yeah. international footballer who has solved the whole thing and we're still like, yeah, I think Asher Grani is really? responsible Still, though, yeah. That's let's probably. not call it a debate. My one thing, thing about this, though, has thing, been, yeah. so, like, whether it's a volley or not, I also don't think you can call it a strike because, to me, a strike can mean anything. There's, like, no yeah, definition fair. to that so yeah. at all. But it has to call it... What do you call it? Kick. Well, mm. effort is always. I don't mind calling it anything. It's not called a volley. Incorrect, like you know. Lads, <laughs> I don't know. It's fired people up. I, like I just, I just don't know. I don't know how Wayne Rooney's strike from halfway line, where the ball is at an apex and it's in the air for ages, and then he hits it, is not. It's not a bloody half volley, anyway. We can move on from this very quickly. If either of you, sir, have you any? Do you want to endorse Shane's thoughts? Oh no, I'm I'm letting him fall on that sword unless Catherine I, wants to. Mm, I kind of see Shane's point. I do get the point of if it bounces, mm, but I also think if someone's in the air and they're striking a ball like that, mm. to me that's like a volley is the only thing that actually does it justice. Because if you just call it a strike, then it's I don't know, it doesn't describe what's actually happening. A beautiful strike, could we like with that? Let's know, go. With no, that. but it, aesthetically, but that still something. doesn't describe what you're actually seeing. Whereas when you say the word volley, you know exactly what someone means, and you see that kind of they're midair, they're almost like this. Like Zidane against Leverkusen or Rooney against Man City. That, that's an unmistakable volley. You misdescribe it as mm. a volley. You give the best picture of a Catalan, is what you're saying. Eh, well. I don't know. Like I have never really felt all that strongly about this point until this morning. But I also think it's the best word to describe what you're seeing in front of you. Like if I just said, oh, I watched a strike, that could literally mean anything. Whereas if I say he volleyed the ball, you're not necessarily thinking, did it bounce beforehand? Did it not bounce beforehand? Mm. You have that automatic image in your head of someone like on the edge, leaning over, beautiful leg out you see the photos already like in your head on the front pages you know what it means so I'm not saying technically Shane is wrong or right I'm just saying that definitely wrong I know what he was getting at Um, if if somebody said oh go and watch that volley as you describe it and then I was to see that I'd be like well why that was misdescribed. Yeah, but also, ha- it's not a half volley. Ugh, bloody hell. <laughs> Where, what, what, have we anything else? Uh, we do, actually. <laughs> we have to commit to this for the next 20 minutes. Or <laughs> we do. Um, it was uh, something that came up, actually, yesterday with uh, Gavin Hoolan's goal for Grimsby, which uh, which sent Southampton crashing out of the FA Cup, that one of our colleagues here at News Talk went to school with Gavin. Oh. 
um, and it got me thinking about like everybody in every school had like the best athlete in their class or in their year or whatever and I always wonder what happened to them like because we've all experienced that and unfortunately I can only speak for myself here but I certainly wasn't the best athlete but I'm always curious to find out what happens to do they go on to have an excellent career do they give up afterwards um, I just think school with? I was in school with I mean, I'm not looking for the full <laughs> Well, yeah, from A to Z. Um, like, the person I'm thinking of at the moment, there's a few different people. Um, Sarah McGough, who was an underage um, Irish football star, she was uh, a couple of years ahead of me, a couple of years below me, Hubert Gilvary, who was in the Connacht Academy, um, played a few times for Connacht, is now um, doing his thing with the Ireland Sevens. And, I mean, hopefully he can go on to have the same kind of career that Hugo Keenan had from that launch pad. Uh, but... You were saying you have a few interesting people you went to school with who... Yeah, were, yeah it wasn't like, these aren't like... Actually, some of them are sort of whatever became of them, but there was like yeah. a lot of... Uh, it was a big GA school at that time. Um, Rory O'Connell mm. uh, would have been a couple of years ahead of me. Fergal Murray would have been around the same year. Um, uh, Joe Fallon, Tom Trainer. There was a lot of players who went on to play for Westmeath and then Roscommon as well because it was uh, on the border there. Yeah. But there was also, uh, you gave us like a sort of a breadth of about 11 years, I think, to just sort of a. Kind of. Like, years. what is, well, yeah, what do, you, what do you count as being in school with someone? Because I went to primary school with Matty Ruan and he was my next door neighbour. Well, that's, that's, that's legit. Yeah. yeah you'd, you'd take that? Yeah. Okay, cool. Um, there you go. We'd, there was two, we had two lads go over to play professional football. Ray Kelly was one and I'd sort of, you know the way you kind of forget about things and then it was yeah. like, listen to the Roddy Collins book and I was just reminded that he went back to uh, Bohemians. He'd gone over and played for Man City. I think Mick McCarthy might have been, no, maybe, did Mick McCarthy managed Man City for a while. He played for Man City, City, didn't he? Maybe it was around the end of his oh. days there. I'd have to Wikipedia that one. Um, but actually, no, I might be conflating these stories. There was another one then, Michael Collins, Mickey Collins, went over to play for Millwall, mm. who <laughs> was Mick McCarthy manager of Millwall at that yeah. time. So Mick played for Man City and played for Millwall. He also managed Millwall. Oh, well, it might have been Mickey Collins at Millwall then. And I think he came, he came back and played uh, League of Ireland for a few years. But Robbie Henshaw is the one. Um, yeah. Now that's where I'm testing the 11 years thing. And probably a I was going to say that you, were, you weren't in the same year as Robbie anyway. No, no, not the same year. No chance. No, no. no. no, no. You were in, were you in the school at the same time? Mm, don't think so. Not a chance. No, no, we wouldn't have been. Come no, no, because no, no, he'd have had to be. No, no, no. He'd have been six, six or seven years younger than me, and unfortunately, um, I just missed the boat. Yeah. My colleagues here are guffawing at me. Um, <laughs> Rob, Robbie Henshaw wasn't even. Bo- like, Adrian was doing the leave insert, and Robbie, uh, Robbie Henshaw wasn't even a thought. That's yeah. very unfair. I think that's very unfair, Shane. Anyone? I don't have I, like uh, St. McCartan's College at the same where I went in Monaghan Town the secondary school was it's a very Gaelic football heavy school Okay, we play a lot of sport like there's soccer and, and plenty of other sports in it as well but it is like if you play Gaelic football you're laughing mm-hmm. um, so a lot of mine would be like it was in, a lot of lads who went on to play county football for Monaghan would have been in my class but there's no you know, I, I was looking for a real sexy answer like Tommy Bow or Barry McGuigan was in my school I, I can't say that so uh, there's no one who really um Obviously, playing for your county is a great achievement, but no one who I can say, yeah, that's that's Paris unbelievable. College not alone, by the way. That was I never, yes. I never mentioned that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah no. You know, like there's there's people out there living in Brazil right now who went to school with Pele. Do you know for, you know that kind of thing, or people who are in Muhammad Ali's class in Louisville. Like that is that is impressive. 
Imagine being able to say that. Oh, Muhammad Ali sat beside me there in school. He said, <laughs> well, you know how people make like nuanced comments about, oh, he, he'll do something now, that fella. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, he'll I, go on. He'll, he's, there's something, Mouthy, something about, him. about him. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Never shuts up, that guy. Kathleen? Yeah, I'm kind of the same as Shane. Like, a lot of people in my school went on to do impressive things, but it wasn't necessarily really in a sporting context. Mm. I also feel like it's slightly different as well when you go to an all-girls school like cause obviously there aren't the same opportunities to go on and maybe have like a stellar career or like they're definitely a lot more limited so and also our school didn't they encouraged the people who were very good at sport but the rest of us weren't necessarily encouraged to play it all that much so yeah i don't really know if i have anything very good to add to that particular topic mm. where did mona mccurry go she was, well, because she was Ross's point, isn't she? Mm. I think she went to one of the schools out that way. I don't okay. think she went into town. Right. I could be wrong on that. Mm. Also, a great Sligo person, obviously. Yeah, of course. Sligo, yeah. Sligo's heap of famous people. Like, mm. you know, if WB Yates was in your class, that'd be great. Like, <laughs> oh, I tell you, he can write. It'd be a slight worry if he was in He'll my class something. in the air slide, but... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> stretching the 11-year theory there. Imagine, imagine <laughs> yeah. being in English class with WB Yates. And you're like, oh, any, shut anyone, up. Anyone, anyone want to pick up this? <laughs> if you were the teacher, you'd just be sitting back on WB. Yeah. WB. <laughs> Do you reckon that was his nickname? Yeah, I would say so. Yeah. WB. I would say so. Warner Brothers. I'd say when he got in um, trouble, it was William Butler. I'd say that was. That yeah, was come in here for your dinner. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Connor actually went to school in Ballyshannon. Didn't even ah. go to school in Sligo. I was thinking that. I was like, I never remember. So she's the only goal woman, really. You're only claiming her. No, 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 no. <laughs> It was oh, like, yeah. uh, there's a part of the Bundoran Road, if you live there, you kind of either go towards Donegal for school or you go towards Sligo, but you still live in Sligo. I was in, uh, I was at the United game um, against Barcelona, I don't know if I've mentioned that yet, in Stratford End, and I was very conscious not to uh, br- uh, bring my phone out, I had my phone out, maybe to take a little video before the game or after the game, mm-hmm. but during the 90 minutes of the match itself, I was like, nah, not a chance, I'm not going to enjoy this. I know Cameron, you've brought this topic up as a, as a potential fire pit option as I'm well. I'm surprised you brought it up because you were disproved the last time you were on saying, I would never Sorry, do that. The question, is, never, the question is, yeah, I'm not a crook. The question is, what's the best way to watch Shane Nixon. My, my answer is, in person with your eyes, not your bloody phone. But as Cameron, opposed to filming Crow Park. Well, Cameron, has a, Cameron has an interesting enough take on this one. Yeah, like, what's the best way to watch sport apart from live? Because I, I, I heard a, um, obviously live is, you know, another world, but... Mm. Um, I was listening to a podcast the other day and someone said my favourite way to watch sport and I completely agree with this is in a Curry's when your mum's off shopping and you've 19 TVs to choose from and they're all really high quality that was my favourite way to watch like 20 minutes of a game oh you would would yeah yeah yeah, because they'd be showing off the speakers wouldn't they Um, possibly a controversial take you say like the best way to watch sport is live the best way to experience sport is live, but is it the best way to watch it? Oh, oh no, I think I think it definitely is. That's, and no, I have no, a really because like you can't like when you're in when you're there and you're in the moment. You're like you're watching the game. You're getting into it. You have like the crowd, but you're not. You have to almost go back and watch it again to actually get any sort of like analysis or thought process to it. So like yes, experiencing a game live when there's an amazing atmosphere is unreal. But like watching a game and properly seeing what's happening. No, I, t- well, I think live. Like- I think live is the best, and it's a controversial topic among my friend group. But I think behind the goals is the best seat in the house. I think that's true on an occasional basis, but mm. not depends not on the game, game in the stadium. Really, the sport like. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. It does depend if you're, but if you're up high in with the gods, I think that's the best place to watch because oh. I, I, you can see how the like I've watched Ireland games rugby from behind, and you can see how the play is developing and the movement of the players. If you lose at a certain point, I was sat behind the 
um, Havelock Square End goal for the Ireland New Zealand game. And okay. It's an amazing view for some of the stuff that's going on in front of you. But once it goes outside that 22 that's in front of you, you're just on the TV. Like Depends on the sport. Mm. Formula One, I think, would attest to what Kathleen is saying there, as in Formula One TV coverage is unbelievable. It's unparalleled. Like you've got the, the radio, you're hearing what team principals are saying to drivers, you're hearing what team principals are arguing with FIA, direct race directors, and then just the coverage Can of all Can you get a um, little earpiece for that? Uh, I don't know. But you see that that's the thing, like in, in football, if if you're if you're if you're watching a race in person, um you're you're really only seeing cars go past very fast. Yeah, you're, that's, you're hearing that some commentary as well, it, but yeah. it's not quite. Monaco the same. would be the best, I'd say, would it? Yeah, for for because uh, you're having your your glass of vino and mm, chilling out. Cheese, yeah. But I think yeah, certain sports lend themselves more to just TV viewing. Now, I was at the snooker last week in Wolverhampton, and snooker, believe it or not, is a brilliant in-person sport. Like you, you go out between sessions, you're sitting there for four frames, trying to be really quiet. But like the atmosphere is, like you could you could hear a pin drop, and then when when an unbelievable shot goes in. The place erupts, so I, I think it's one of those. Kathleen, what's tennis like live? I know you've been to Wimbledon. Is it like? Is it much better? Uh, I feel like Wimbledon is like a weird example for tennis. Like I don't know if this is what all of them are like because there's so much pageantry and there's so much pomp to it. Like I just remember sitting on centre court watching Ash Barty play, and it was like one of the first ones I had gone to at Wimbledon. And like every time there's a break in play, you just hear pop 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 around because everyone's popping their bottles of champagne like you're allowed to bring whatever you want in glass it doesn't really matter and then the game will start up again and it's like completely silent and all you can hear is like the players talking to themselves or like shouting out to their coaches and then again play stops and you just hear pop 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 it's I don't know if it's necessarily better live I think it's very dependent on who's playing and Mm. like when Andy Murray was playing the crowd was absolutely electric and there was like this ripple of anticipation even when it was completely silent but whenever say there was like someone that maybe wasn't as well known or wasn't a fan favorite with the crowd it was a very different atmosphere and I kind of like with tennis because sometimes there's like quite a lot of breaks in play it's nice having that commentary to listen into and kind of like actual experts talking about what has just happened or telling stories like a lot of the time you get former tennis players on so yeah Mm. it's definitely something that I'm glad I experienced and I would definitely go back again but I don't know if it would be one of my like top sports to watch live I've been um, shouted at here that we have to wrap up. I will say it's too curtailed. We just need we need more room for it. Yeah, we need to get on to the producer who's now unhappy because he's had a curtailed item. (laughs) But uh, that notwithstanding Cameron thank you very much Kathleen. Thank you. Thanks a lot. That's the fire pit. What is it called, Friday Fire Pit? Friday Fire Pit. Say we just put a bit more thought into dominating the comments box this morning. <laughs> you got to call it like it is. It's Friday, like, come on. The Friday Fire Pit. Right, it's uh, nearly ten past nine. You're watching Rugby AM, and we are, of course, uh, brought to you with Gillette Labs. Get the ultimate shave or your money back. Neon Night Edition available now. It's so unexpected. It's one of those you-had-to-be-there moments. You had to be there. It subsequently genuinely did change everything about my life. You had to be there. The ads there. You saw Mr. Welly up against Nathan, and uh, we'll see who ends up at the top of the leaderboard after all of that. And it was all as part of the OTB Games Room, in partnership with Virgin Media. You can bring your A game with 99.9% broadband reliability. Now, as you've heard from the sting there, it is time for you had to be there. I'm delighted to say it's a very special episode today. Norden Chow- uh, Chowdhury, who's a football writer, Manchester expert, and Nas is what it says in front of me here, and an interesting things beyond the whitewash as well. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me on. 
Manchester expert. That's that's a good one. Does that mean that I know all about the Gallagher's and everything? Got the keys to Manchester. Yeah, the Stone Roses, <laughs> everything. Lowry, Lowry was Manchester, wasn't he? Am yeah, I wrong yeah. about that? Um, right, we've got a very, uh, I, I don't know, can I say eclectic mix of stuff here, even though it all is hooked generally around one sport. Yeah. Um, you're going to kick us off, take us back to 1994, an unusual starting spot. <laughs> yeah, so it was It was basically, um, it was a charity game, uh, in, uh, it was a, cr- a charity cricket game, and it was uh, Manchester United versus, I think they were called the Cheatham Hill Celebrity, Celebrity Eleven, which was basically just the odd Coronation Street actor. Um, and uh, it was just mad having all these all these heroes at my local cricket club. Um, and it kind of points to the, the era as well, because you wouldn't get that now. Um, it was just, what it was is, 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 is it was a, it's, a, it's a very small cricket club and they have like a small pavilion and we could just mingle with the players um, who were getting more and more merry as the day went on because... Uh, it was kind of like a charity thing, so they were allowed to drink. Ferguson allowed them to drink that day. So, yeah, you had people like Brian Robson, Mark Hughes, Clayton Blackmore. Um, you, you also had City players, uh, all the greats, like Fitzroy Simpson, Paul Walsh, uh, Peter Begra. So, uh, so yeah, so legends on both sides. But, uh, yeah, it was just a, it was an amazing experience, um, and uh, especially at that age. It was like, what are these people doing here? It's, it was like a... Like a weird dream. Was there like a huge crowd at it, or was it like was it a hugely publicised thing that like thousands turned up for, or no? No, it was it was so weird. There must have been like like maybe a hundred of us there. So it was it was it was quite intimate, and I don't know how we found out about it, but we ended up going down, and um, it was funny because. Um, I was quite shy to sort of ask for because everyone was asking for autographs and, and they were they were obliging they were being dead nice I mean in fact like one of the nicest uh, people there was David Rocastle. Um he was lovely um, but um, but yeah but I was quite shy to ask for autographs and then I saw like a like a kindly old Asian guy and like I used the old the old uncle card um, whenever you see sort of a, a, a brown man of a certain age went uncle uncle. And then he sort of turned around and said, "I said, can you can you get us some autographs? Because he was he was with the players, sort of in the pavilion. So he was dead nice and like he, t- he took the he took my program off me and and basically got a load of signatures. And um, I thought like, what a nice man. And then like later on, I found out he was a uh, he was actually um, a really famous Indian cricketer called Farooq Engineer who played like forty six tests. <laughs> so <laughs> and he's looking he at you thinking- going." Kid, what? I mean, I know, I, I get the, I get the, the play here, but uh, come on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, also, but that's the thing. That's the thing about uncles. I mean, I mean, I'm sure it's the same in Ireland. It's, it, it's probably, it's, it's like how Irish people feel about that Matt LeBlanc meme. Sort of like his universal <laughs> uncle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, hat, the arms crossed and all the rest. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's funny. It's like that, that that time someone at the airport, was it Higuain and Messi? Someone asked Messi to oh, take okay. their phone and take a photograph of them with <laughs> with one of Messi's teammates. Or maybe it was Suarez, maybe. Uh, but it's it's one of those. Uh, were, were any of the, the, the footballers really, really good at cricket? Like famously, and probably a couple of years after, but Phil Neville was a, yeah. a top-level cricketer. He, he, yeah, he was famously good. Um, Lee Sharp was good, um, and uh, I think Paul Walsh was good as well. Paul Walsh was going through his proper sort of like uh, like Hollywood star in his own head, like with the with the blonde flowing locks. So yeah, he was loving it. But uh, no, it was good. But I'll be honest, I wasn't really interested in the cricket. I was just staring at all the players, thinking, "What are you doing here?" Do you still have the autographs? Yeah, yeah, I've got it somewhere. I'll have to, I'll have to dig it out. But yeah, I've, I've still got the, I've still got the program. There's there's like one or two autographs that I think I'm not sure who that is but yeah the rest of them it, it could have 
I was so giddy that day. I could have like been going to the groundsman and sort of saying, "Can I have your autograph as well?" I mean, <laughs> considering I couldn't identify a, like a like a world famous cricketer, I was just going around asking for everyone's autograph. Did you get any of the Coronation Street stars? Uh, was that just like uh, who are these old people? <laughs> I, didn't, I, I don't really. I know it's sacrilege for a for a Mancunian, but I don't really watch Coronation Street. Ah, uh, so, no, it's come on. Yeah, so I th- so, so I think I got a couple, but uh, I think there was somebody Middlemiss and uh, somebody Lavelle. But, oh yeah, yeah. I, it was. Did he play Kevin Webster? I mean, I don't know why yeah, I know this information. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's the one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I so, thought that yeah. was a rite of passage to be from Manchester. You had to, you had to watch Curry. Well, the, the funny thing is that, like, uh, my first job after university was working at Granada uh, Studios, just, just, just in a like finance job. And like, I once got told off for trespassing onto onto the cobbles. Are you so, like, no, uh, yeah. these, these are my mates. I, I know all these guys. We, you know, we hang <laughs> exactly, out, we play cricket. Yeah. <laughs> that was Robson. Was he? Had he finished at United at that point, Nazar? Was he still? Um, I don't know, but it might have just, he he was. Yeah, yeah, he might, he might have just left. Um, but um, yeah, I think. And, and again, the funny thing—the funny thing with Ferguson um, is that everyone thinks of him as being like dead, um, sort of authoritarian and sort of like uh, saying to players, "You can't drink, you, go, you can't go out." The one exception—the one exception was like charity, th- charity things. Like yeah. um, if ever if ever there was a situation like that, like he'd be he'd, he'd let them sort of like let the hair down, and uh, and and Brian Robson, as we we'll, as we well know. Uh, did let his hair down when it, when a drink was available. I suspect they might have organised a lot of charity things. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. uh, take us forward six years. You want to talk about United 3, Fiorentina 1, and uh, one Argentinian specifically. Yeah, that's that's the thing, cause, because um, growing up, um, especially with the um, when Channel 4 got the rights to Italian football, um, it was so glamorous, and, and, I, and I completely fell in love with... Uh, with Italian football and all these all these incredible stars, but but the thing is that they felt so otherworldly. Like we like English football was great, and we, and we had our own sort of stars, and we also that was a stage where a lot of great players were coming to this country from from abroad, like Klinsmann and Rude Hollier and and all sorts. Um, but um, there was something about um, Italian football that just seemed. Like it was from another planet. Um, it just seemed more glamorous. All the goals seemed it seemed better, um, which is funny, really, because like I think I enjoyed the Gazetta football roundup on Saturday morning more than I did the actual matches on a on a Sunday. Because when you actually watched a match all the way through, you realised it was it was a, it was far slower. Um, there, there was fewer goals, but um, that didn't sort of stop me from, from sort of idolising half the players. But the biggest, the biggest, star, the biggest stars for me were always Baggio and Batistuta, and Batistuta in particular. The way he played, he he felt like a, like a superhero, like he he looked like a superhero, mm. and uh, and and the power he got into his shots and like the the way he played as a centre forward was was unreal. So when there was a chance to watch him at Old Trafford. Um, I was buzzing. Um, we we lost when we'd gone to Fiorentina earlier in the season. Um, so so when they came to Old Trafford, um, there was a little bit of nervousness. But um, the the thing is, we won three one, and all of United's goals were actually really really good. Mm. Um, Andy Cole scored from outside the area. Um, uh, Dwight York scored from a, like a really good header from a really good cross, and uh, Roy Keane. Roy Keane probably scored the best goal of the game technically because um, it was one of those um, that um, I think somebody took a shot. It might have come off the Henningberg taking a shot off back off the crossbar. Yeah, yeah, and and, and then and then he um, 
And then um, it was it was a really hard volley because it came straight at him, and Roy Keane had to sort of volley at first, and he, and you could tell it was a volley because he didn't touch the floor. So um, it was it was it was really really good. But um... <laughs> <laughs> I was like, is he what? <laughs> I see what you did there. We're on the but, same um... wavelength, Nazi. Yeah, that's, that's well observed. Can you see my point? No, it's apropos of nothing, obviously. <laughs> but the but the but the thing is, in spite of how good United go- United's goals were, and and, and obviously. I was I was I was so chuffed that we'd won. Um, the one thing that made him memorable was was seeing Batistuta play, and and he scored the first goal, and it was the classic Batistuta goal where he got the ball uh, maybe thirty yards out. Didn't look like there was any issue. United didn't even do anything wrong in terms of defending. Like like the positioning, everything was fine. Those those players sort of like um, closing him down, but he does he doesn't need he doesn't he didn't need sort of he only needed like half half a yard, and he just. Uh, he just let fly, um, and in terms of a, like an opposition goal, like that's probably the best I've seen at Old Trafford, and uh, the power he got into it. I don't, and again, it's it's this thing like, like like I heard briefly a conversation about how it's best to experience um, sport um, earlier, and um, the thing with the thing with that goal is that you'll watch it back um, on YouTube or whatever, and it looks like a, an amazing goal, but. I don't think you realise how good it was un- unless you were there. The mm. power, the power you got in it, um, and also when you when you watch it on TV or you watch it on um, on YouTube, you- you'll notice that the that the ball kind of hits the it hits the goal like the the net in the centre. So you kind of think, well, surely Bosnich should should have saved that. But but if you were there, you'd realise like it was past him before he knew it, and it and it sort of had that swaz. So. It was just unstoppable. That was the thing. I remember watching that game as a kid on on TV, and like, by I was a United fan, but buying a Batistuta Fiorentina jersey after, I was so yeah. it was just the long hair, the hairband, and then it was the, the noise on TV when the ball hit the net. Like you almost feared for Bosnich's safety. It, it was hit with that with that much power. But did it make a noise? It, it almost made the perfect noise when it hits the net. This is like a real niche football oh, thing. Yeah. Now, but but you know that that perfect sound when it hits the net. Mm. It just seemed like one of those unbelievable strikes in us. It wasn't, and, 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 and like, and like, it's, it's that rasp as well of the of the net. But um, it's it's it doesn't happen very often. But you but you occasionally get the kind of because because the thing is, most goals, the the fans are anticipating it. So there's almost a build up of excitement, and then it happens, and then and and, and, the, and the, there's a crescendo of noise. <laughs> very occasionally, what happens is there's a goal that's that's not expected. So, that, so, that, so, so they've not that build up, of, uh, build up of noise, and and it happens, and there's almost like a half a second of silence where people are computing did that just happen, and it kind of felt like that where where um, he scored, and then it was like, how did he do that? Like, and 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 it's it, it kind of uh, it kind of sort of built up that sort of idea that he was otherworldly, and mm. and and the annoying thing is that that I don't know what it's like, I don't know what it was like in Ireland, but growing up. Um, Teletext was a big thing, mm. um, and especially especially on ITV, um, uh, they they had this thing where where it would be like one page of two, and the second mm. page would always be adverts of like these these uh, these numbers you could call for like transfer gossip, and it was all rubbish. But every every so often there'd be one in like a particular current color, and it'd be flashing. So as if it's like breaking news or or it's or it's gonna happen <laughs> and the amount of times United were linked to Batistuta on those uh oh. on, on, on those calls and like mugs like me getting giddy and sort of thinking, oh like could I get away with ringing it without sort of 
making that making the bone bill astronomical. But yeah. Uh, but yeah, I would have loved him at United. See facts that that teletext. Like I still remember the numbers on the BBC. I got on to three two three for news and brief, three three eight yeah. for newspaper gossip, three oh one for the sport, three oh three for the football. Right. Yeah. I just remembered them all off. And you'd be like, waiting for the pages to, to flip as well because yeah. the results. If there was enough games on, you'd have results in two pages and oh. you'd be like waiting for the results to see you come up. Oh, exactly. I mean, imagine and, 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 consuming sport in that in that such a oh, like, yeah. one dimensional way is incredible. And then and, and then sometimes 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 the sort of games would be two pages. And then if it sort of suddenly flipped to three pages, you thought, oh, there's been there's been a goal because like they've actually used a third page. That's right, yeah. 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 I don't know, I'll have to wait a half an hour for it flip, to flick back to page yeah. one. The Irish one, on the, on the RTE one, I think you had the, the Premier League scores had a, had a specific page, 2-2-0, I think it was, or 2-2-2. And then the Irish, if there was an Irish goal scorer, you'd have that name in green. That's right. It's brilliant. Oh, wow. You're mad yeah. You're mad looking for all these yeah. green goal scorers. Robbie Keane. We're not obsessed Duff. with ourselves or anything. No, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> brilliant. Um, right, flip us on. We're going, we're going forward a few more years now. We're up to... 2013 and Fergie's final game at Old Trafford. Yeah, and and it was uh, the thing. The thing is that, that that obviously it was the end of an era, but like it's almost a case of you don't realise it at the time, and then it's only afterwards that you realise how monumental it was. Because um, and again, like this is almost sacrilege, but because Ferguson had been there so long, there was almost a sense of like it was quite exciting for there to be a new era. And like we didn't know how the new era was going to turn out, and and how and how sort of barren it was going to be, and 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 and, and how uh, how much of a mess it was going to be. But um, when you've had a manager for that long, it's the whole sort of process of, of getting a new manager and scouring the whole world for the most world class option and finding David Moyes. It's kind of it's it's, it's kind of, it's kind of quite exciting, and like even even David Moyes, like it was it was it was a point at which football still felt quite local. And, and the idea of getting David Moyes in, who, who was like a, like quite a local manager and had that sort of Scottish thing going on. And like, there's the aura of like Scottish managers, especially at that time. Like you had like Shankly, um, uh, you had, um, Busby and all, and, and, and like, and like basically all, all these, all these, um, all these managers that had, that had grown, uh, that had, um, uh, lived in the same area. And, and, and there was, there was things like, um, David Moy's granddad some or something new Ferguson or something like that. So mm-hmm. uh there was all that background and uh and yeah and and, and it was stuff and, and there was all like little flags and stuff to like make a mosaic and uh, I I always find that massively cringe. And it and it was at the it was at the uh, it's funnily enough it was at Wembley with the with the League Cup final uh, um a week or so ago, with with like the the, the flags and scarves, and I always find that cringe because it always feels like manufactured um, mm. atmosphere. But uh, the funny thing with that game is, it was my I took my nephew, and it was it was my nephew's first ever game. Wow! And for, for that to be for Ferguson's last game to be my nephew's first game, it, it made it, it sort of amplified it and it made it bigger for me because he was. He was so excited. He was so excited to get his flag, and he was. And, and I think we all bemoan half and half scarves and kind of think like, uh, "Oh, who buys those?" It's kids. Mm. Kids buy it because they because they, because they want to wear it the next day and prove that they went to the game. And like, it, it, it gives you a different perspective on so many things if you if you go with a kid, and it sort of renews your excitement for it. And um, and yeah, and and the actual credits united they they sort of organized it really well and and the game was kind of it, it, it was fitting because um 
it was it was one all, and then um, Rio Ferdinand scored a late goal, which which was always the Fergie way, uh, and it was it it was like an incredible sort of like uh, goal scorer's finish as well, considering he'd not, he'd not scored for years. You mentioned about Again, like, and then, go. sorry, Naz, you mentioned about people like uh, you know not been been unaware of what was to come, right? Like you know yeah. the the barren years, and like the Moyes thing just made sense. I mean, Fergie had handpicked him and all this sort. Of, but I watched back the after the on the pitch speech last night, and like it gets remembered for the your job new bit. <laughs> but actually, like looking back to it, and maybe this is there's a bit of hindsight here. But he he references his own shaky start, and there's like an uproarious sort of response from the crowd, obviously about. Um, David Moyes and the you know your job knew okay this you know everybody understood that and you know we will stick by David Moyes and it wasn't long before like the knives were out it almost felt as if Ferguson himself had an awareness of this is not you know this group are an aging group and this is not going to go Moyes may have to go through what I went through oh completely and 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 the, and the thing is that like even at the time um, it was it kind of felt. Felt as though like how is how is Fergie winning the league with this team and 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 again like like so much of it was was um, finding a way. Ferguson always found a way. I always I always say that Ferguson's greatest attribute was pragmatism. Mm-hmm. He he wasn't a I don't I don't think he was a purist. It wasn't always about playing the beautiful game or sort of sticking to your principles. He didn't even treat all the players the same. He, he was he was extremely strict on on players like Lee Sharp and Ryan Giggs and, 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 and the younger homegrown players. But then he understood that Cantona needed to be treated differently and 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 things like that. So and yeah, so um even with that team, he he bought in Van Persie because he knew that he was Van Persie was this amazing uh temporary sticking plaster. Um so it was gonna be difficult for whoever came in. Yeah. Um, but also, we can't romanticize the past and act as if like the the sort of modern fan is any different from previous generations in terms of giving managers time. Because um, I think part of what Ferguson was saying there, saying there in terms of like your job is to is to trust a new manager is because uh, not only did he know that that it's going to be a difficult job, but he he remembers when he was getting grief. Like, like for the first, like, like up until that nineteen ninety FA Cup final win, um, it was the fans wanted him out. Like, and if you look at like the fanzines at that time, this, this, he, he's getting lots of criticism, and a lot of it was 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 sort of fair enough in terms of the money money he'd spent and the time he'd had. And there's a, there's a famous um, there's a famous sign Tara Ferger. Um, that, that, that somebody puts together. So, so things things don't really change that much. Um, and and fans fans have always been as fickle or not fickle as uh, as they've always been. Um, but yeah, it was a it was an emotional day, and and the fact that I got to share it with my with my nephew, and he can he can now say that that was his first game. Um, that's yes. what kind of made it special. Yeah, I'm with you on the half and half scarves as well. I just way too much uh, chat and fuss about that. Um, Atletico Madrid two, Asasuna one. Uh, the same year, and uh, you want to talk to us about Diego Simeone, especially. Yeah, so so, so that was that was um, a city break that I went on with my mates, and we decided to go to Madrid. And like because we were going to Madrid on on that particular weekend or whenever it was, um, it was like oh let's let's try and go to a game. So so we 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 really wanted to go to the Bernabeu and really wanted to go and see Real Madrid, but they happened to be playing uh, away. And it's like ah, like like just our luck. We don't get to see Real Madrid, and we're going to Madrid, and um, 
it was almost like a boomer prize of like, oh, well, Atletico are playing at home. Let's go and see them. So like, we weren't that excited, but we went along anyway, just to experience it. And the experience in itself was amazing because it was, it was their old, their old, um, Calderon Stadium. So it wasn't the, it wasn't the sort of identical, amazing new, uh, stadium they've got now. So it had like a bit of a old school feel to it. Um, even to the extent that like within the stadium, they, they were selling, kind of like homemade baguettes rather than anything packaged. And the, all the fans were eating these little, I don't know if they were pine nuts or, or like sunflower seeds or something, but they were all eating them. And if you look down on, on the sort of like stands, it was covered in like the shells. And, and it was, a, it was little things like that that made it so interesting. And there was, there was even like um amongst their sort of ultras, there was a massive sign that said something like 88 years. And, and it had like, um, obviously a start and end date of like somebody who passed away and like um i was like oh like as a legend died or something and then got talking to somebody who a fan that was there who could speak english and, and he explained it was a it was for a supporter who'd been a season ticket holder for like eight decades and and that was amazing that they had that sense of community that they were acknowledging just a supporter with a massive banner um and the actual the actual the funny thing is first of all Atletico Madrid actually won the league that season, so it was it was and it was the first time they'd done it in years and years, so that made it special. But there's a I sent I sent a photo of like um so so we were at the front and and the security wasn't what you'd expect at a top game, like it wasn't what, what it would be United and and me and my mate sort of got to the front and Simeone wasn't too far away on the touchline uh, and. And because cause you're like you're on holiday and you're giddy and you and you sort of think oh like you're you're behaving a certain I just started shouting his name constantly <laughs> just to be annoying. I was like Simeone, Simeone, over here, Simeone, and like sort of like saying like uh, are you scared? Are you scared? And then at one point he turned around and he heard me and he and he started coming towards me. Uh, and I absolutely bricked myself. <laughs> and, 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 and the image that I've, the photo that I've sent, it sent Sounds to you now, is, yeah. is, is, is him coming towards me. Jesus. I thought that was and, like a stock photograph that we had taken. Wow. No, no. That's, that's, I, I, I took that photo just before quickly running up the, running up the stand. What do you think like, he was coming to say to you? I, I have no idea. I, that was the mad thing. Like, I had no idea he could hear me. And and it was just like, what was going to happen? Was he just sick of? Was it like Alan, pa- Alan Partridge when when he keeps saying Dan? And it was just so annoying that he'd, <laughs> he'd, he'd had enough. But like, yeah. uh, I panicked and uh, and ran away. I'm angry and I'm not going to take it anymore. And whatever version uh, that he might have said <laughs> exactly. that exactly. Yeah. So that was my memory of the game. And uh, and yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, the actual game. I mean, it was it was it was quite sort of straightforward. Um, I think they won two one. Diego Sim, uh, sorry, Diego Costa scored twice. Yeah. But yeah, that's what I'll remember it for, for like uh, uh, annoying Simeone and, and not wanting to be part of that exchange. Not many people can say they've faced down Diego Simeone for sure. Your your, your last selection... <laughs> Neither can Naz. No. Well, yeah, yeah, tried to. Tried to. Uh, your last pick, Naz, is uh, similar along the veins of, of Ferguson's uh, last game at 20. It's Arsenal-Burnley at the Emirates, 6th of May 2018, Wenger's last, last game, last home game, 5-0 win anyway for Arsenal. Yeah, yeah, last it was a, it was his last home game, so it was the big uh, similar to Fergie, It was the big um, sort of goodbye that Arsenal were going to give him, um, and 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 again, like I think I was, I don't know why I was down in London. Um, it wasn't for the game, but uh, it might have been for work or whatever. But um, because that game was happening and it was close by to where I was, um, I. Uh, 
I kind of like did my best to get a ticket and 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 by some some amazing sort of like uh I don't know how I did it but I managed to get a ticket um so I went down and uh, it was just really interesting to sort of experience that that similar situation but with another club mm. um I mean one thing that I mean they, they did again they did things really well it was, um the difference between the Fergie good, goodbye and the uh, Wenger goodbye is that when Fergie left it was it was um it was raining uh, and it was miserable weather, but on uh, Arsene Wenger's last game, it was it was a beautiful day, really, really sunny, and it was perfect in that respect. Um, and everyone got a t-shirt, and obviously I didn't wear it. Um, but um, I think I think I think two the two things the, the two things I got out of it was a I realised that I don't really I'm not really a football fan. Like I couldn't care less about the goals and I couldn't like, there was, there was a good atmosphere and I just thought like, this is, this is a good atmosphere, but it's not my atmosphere. Like, I think, I, I think it, I think it just sort of cemented to me that I'm a, I'm a United fan, not a football fan. Like I, I can't be a neutral and I can't like get into the sort of feeling of sort of, uh, enjoying someone else's moment. Um, and also the, the other thing was it was, it was so respectful. And it was so sort of uh, adoring of Wenger, and Wenger, was, uh, as ever, was such a gentleman, and and his uh, speech was 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 really sort of uh, heartfelt and moving. But um, <laughs> the thing I found funny was like this: a lot of the same fans had been putting up signs saying like like uh, Wenger, it's time to go. Thanks for the trophies, but please do one type stuff and like I even saw on the way in I even saw these fan um sort of these YouTube people doing their like videos outside the ground and and I recognized some of them and I thought you've been on his back for ages you've been mm-hmm. so disrespectful and you've been you've been uh treating him with such disdain and now you're sort of uh enjoying the sort of sentimentality of him, him leaving but again that that wasn't sort of um that's not uh, uh, Arsenal fans in isolation. I think a lot of fans are just fickle. But yeah, it was just interesting to see that. And uh, and yeah, and, and also the funny thing was that um, that Wenger's uh, Wenger's mic kept on putting out, and they, they had to replace it twice. So I it think was that his was his career in a microcosm, wasn't it? That was, uh, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. The end, so uh, the end of days. But yeah, it was it was it was an incredible day. But um, but yeah, I suppose uh, I suppose from my point of view, selfishly, uh, at least I can say that I um, I was at. Uh, two sort of like legendary farewells of like t- like two of the greatest uh, managers of their generation. Yeah, and have the half and halves to uh, to prove it. Yeah. Uh, re- <laughs> really enjoyed that, Naz. Uh, particularly the facing down of Simeone and then legging <laughs> it was probably my uh, my favourite of all, of all of those uh, uh, pieces. <laughs> um, people can check out at Bearded Genius on Twitter, including a new book coming soon. So stay tuned. I think for all of that and an absolute pleasure to spend the last half hour in your company. Catch up with you again down the track. All right, see you later. Cheers. Thanks a lot. That's uh, Nordine Chowdhury, football writer and beyond, and a really interesting list of stuff to get through. Um, Hard-pressed for the quality that are there, I think, uh, that's in there for it to be matched anywhere else. Uh, OTPM with Gillette Labs, get the ultimate shave or your money back. Neon Night Edition is available now on Monday's show. You're going to have the Gillette Labs performance rankings. Alan Quinlan's going to be here. Anthony Moyles will look back in the weekend's Gaelic football. Harriet Pryor uh, as well. And Daniel Harris, uh, both of those on United Liverpool. That's uh, pretty much it. There is some more abuse that has come through around our volley debate. Ah. Shame, but I think it's sort of... The usual. Yeah. I, I'm, en- I'm enjoying it's it. old ground at this stage. Yeah, but I think we, 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 we touched a topic that has touched the hearts of the nation. Somebody did say, I'm going to paraphrase, but uh, you know, the more abuse you get on YouTube, the more you raise your game, so keep the abuse coming. I do like a little bit of vitriol, yeah, yeah. It, uh, it 
makes me burn bright inside. It's fantastic. <laughs> I'm not sure that's 100% true. Uh, that is pretty much it. Uh, Kevin Kilbane, we're going to leave you with myself and Cullum caught up with him yesterday. We're going to chat about uh, the GA football crossover, a little bit about Canada soccer and his hopes for Everton to stay up as well. But from myself and Shane for the minute, have a splendid weekend. OTB Sports Rugby. 1-15, to Everton's got a role to play in terms of breaking down the opposition, but it's an enjoyable attack to, to be involved in because... We all like to play rugby and get our hands on the ball and stuff like that. Subscribe to the rugby stream on the OTB Sports app now. All right, OTB AM, Friday morning. Kevin Caban, good morning to you. Good morning, Adrian. Good morning, Colm. How are you getting on? Kevin, good morning. Adrian, good morning. Colm, good morning. Great to see you. Thanks for jumping on. Uh, thanks for having me. Um, how's the snow in Canada? Has it eased since we were on to you two weeks ago? No, I, I actually can't turn the camera. No, we had we had heavy snow in the last week. We had... We're probably, well, um, four or five inches at the moment. We are, yeah, fully everywhere. The, the roads are clear. There's no drama when it does snow. That's mm-hmm. the thing, thankfully. But no, we've, we've had a, we've had a heavy bit of snow. So it's, nah, it's, it is what it is, you know, it, till the end of March, probably middle of March at least will be, uh, will be, will be getting a bit more snow, I think, until then. Now, listen, we like to get you on to chat about football every now, whenever we can get you, Kev, which, you know, given you ask me about the weather every single time you it's, come on. Do you realize schedule. that? Well, I'm trying to find some sort of point of interest to sort of ease our, our uh, viewers yeah. into a conversation with you. That's, that was, well, I thought it's you hardly, might be a bit more it, giving it, than like a, sort of a mini weather forecast, to be honest with you. But, well, it's you know. hardly interesting, is it? Let's be honest. Well, it'd be interesting if you made it interesting. But look, at there we go. Come here. We, we, I'm, t- I'm, turning, around, I'm turning into you then, Naman. I was tipping around in the car the other night, listening to um, Tuesday nights off the ball. And uh, to my surprise, John Malloy introduces a clip from the football pod of Kevin Caban dissecting the um, quality of goal-taking in the GEA. So we thought, well, we better give you a platform to expand on this a bit, just voice notes <laughs> into the uh, producer. So you've yeah. been impressed. Is that is that the short story? A little bit. Um, I mean, James Carr is obviously having a great season in terms of goals, isn't he? Certainly in the league, he's, he's scoring one or two crackers. No, but it was something, I, I'm sure I've brought it up to you, Adrian, when I was... Uh, more of a regular when I was uh, on the show with you guys a lot more, uh, going to a lot of games, watching a lot more games as well. And I always felt that there was a lot of chances, one-on-one positions. I think, I think if I, if I'm looking at it in relation from, from the, from the GAA Gaelic football to, to soccer, there's a lot more one-on-one chances. I feel across the course of the game, the game opens up a little bit, certainly in the second half of matches. And I always felt that when players got one-on-one with the keeper, they were always looking to get that clean strike every single time. And, you know yourself, when you get the clean strike, the ball is always tends to rise. And I think it gives the keeper the chance. It, it, it doesn't have to be, you know, it, it could be actually a great strike, but the keeper doesn't have to do anything special, I feel, to make the save. And I was always on to Tommy and I was always on to, to you, lads. I'd say, look, is there any ever a way where the lads, look, think about it a little bit more? And, and I mean, that might be a bit harsh saying you think about it a bit more. But in terms of coaching, one-on-one positions with the, with the, with the goalkeeper, is there a chance of almost trying to allow the ball where it's very close to hitting the deck and then hitting it hitting it along the floor or, or getting your knee over it to hit it down into the ground so the keeper's got less of a chance to make that save. And I, I always felt that that was the case. And I, I just, I was saying, speaking to Tommy in relation to that James Carr goal at the weekend, brilliant goal in, in, in how it was worked. But what James Carr did, he hit it down into the ground and under the goalkeeper. And I felt there's always a, a chance when you're one-on-one with a goalkeeper in, in Gaelic football to actually get it under the goalkeeper or certainly have more of a, sh- a, a chance to score if you're in that position. I might be talking absolute rubbish, but Tommy put it no. to the lads anyway. Tommy put it to I the lads anyway. 
I do think you've hit on something interesting as a as a talking point. Like I come from a culture of take your point, your goals will come. That was the culture. I mean, I I think we're only emerging from that to be honest in the last few years. Just in terms of the technique of it, right? Like I think so. Like the key difference, obviously, between football and GA, soccer and GA. Let's go with that for the purposes of this conversation. Yeah. Is that you know at in soccer at times, depending on what's going around you, you might have the opportunity to let the ball do a little bit more of the work and get yourself more physically set. Whereas in GA, you're constantly obviously mm, yes. in charge of the ball at all time. It's maybe harder to physically readjust yourself. I mean, I don't yeah, think I, that's all. I agree general. with that. No, I know I'd agree with that. And obviously more bodies in general. Um, but I, I, I do feel though that the one-on-one the one on one chance is more regular in, in Gaelic football than it is in, in soccer. I, that's the way that I would look at it anyway. Mm. Um, um, and, because and that of the was side my... Rule, probably... Yeah, probably a little bit of that. Probably, absolutely. And, and teams in general, when they're defending a the lead, they'll sit in and camp on in front of the back four, so in front of the 18-yard box. So you're not really going to get that chance, are you? It's only when the game opens up. If a team's chasing, might be a breakaway from a corner or whatever. So it happens, don't get me wrong, but I think it happens more frequently in, in, in Gaelic football. And I, I, it's just when I was obviously at games and when I was watching a, a lot more games, and I, 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 it was just something that kept on at me all the time to say, well, Surely that clean strike that you look for, obviously, and uh, when I'm talking clean strike, sometimes it might be the the side volley where you get clean through. I'm talking like a Lee Keegan special where it would be, you know, the strike through the ball, cut across the ball. If you look at Jermot O'Connor's goal at the weekend, um, where he just put his foot through it, just struck it, and the ball rolls into the net. And they look great. They're the ones that look great, don't they? They look like great goals. Whereas James Carr's, the finish itself didn't look great, but it was... It was obviously it did the job and it, it, it went into the net and that was what I always felt when when watching games right and I said it as I said I said it to to the lads where it's there's got to be a better way when you get one on one with a goalkeeper in Gaelic football to finish I feel give yourself the chance unless you're going in one of the corners where you're giving the keeper little chance where if you don't have time to think which is what you're saying to me though when you don't really have that much time to think and you've got a lad that's maybe dragging your shirt and pulling you back. Mm-hmm. I think that's the best option then when you're in those positions to actually, I think you can do that. You can actually purposely hit it into the ground when you're under a bit of pressure because you're not necessarily going to be able to open your foot out and, uh, open your foot out and put it in one of the corners. When you're watching um, a Mayo match, Kev, can you spot the soccer players? Um, no, no. I, I've never really thought of it like that, actually, Colin. Um, but you can probably tell technique-wise. I, 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 another thing that I would have always... Um, would have always thought as well with with free taking. I I think at times free taking off off the deck is is easier uh, than free taking out of your hand. I think I think it gives you a, a chance to actually get a better strike on the ball. That was something else that I thought about. But I think if you look at someone like Killian O'Connor, who scored so many goals over the years, uh, obviously I'm referencing all the Mayo players here. I'm not referencing Dean Rock <laughs> or anyone like that, am I? Um, but no, I think someone like him would be. He, he would be predominantly take his freeze out of his hand. And uh, that, to me, obviously, as a soccer player, would be alien to me. But that's something that they've grown up with. So it becomes second nature to those lads with with uh, with free-taking. But no, in answer to your question, not really. Not really. Would you, would that be something that you would look out for? Well, I was more interested if that's something you'd look out for because of your own background that you couldn't help but compare or admire the technique mm. or even just notice. Because I remember when David Bentley, do you remember that a few years ago when he came yeah. over to Ireland and played GEA. Did he? Uh, I, I, don't know, I don't know if you saw it, Kev. But no, was, I didn't um, see it. I didn't his, see it, but I remember, I remember reading about it. Anyway, I didn't see it, though, no. 
yeah, his first day of training, obviously he just couldn't get over the whole concept of it. Like, you know, he just like yeah. everyone's a go- everyone's a goalkeeper basically is the way he saw it. But they were all kind of laughing at his technique because it was just so pure and good, you know. So yeah. he was taking free kicks out of, or frees out of his hand in a kind of David Beckham or his own intimate style, like and yeah, he was probably doing his side foot looking for the clean exactly, strike every exactly, time, wasn't he? Yeah. Yeah, and like it, it always, it, it occurs to me, like you know, from the amateur perspective, that I could definitely see a, a Gaelic footballer who transitioned to soccer, or vice versa. Yeah, but just want to be professionally. No, I mean, I think when you guys have the Gaelic, the Gaelic players on, you would always ask, which you, what's your soccer team? And invariably, we would all, you know, speaking to lads over the years, someone like Paddy Andrews, or uh, speaking to the, you know, the O'Connors, they're big Man United fans, and uh, Aidan O'Shea is a big Liverpool fan. You know, you speak to a, to some of the lads, and they would be big soccer fans. They would be they would be regular regularly going over to to England uh, across the season as well to try and watch games. Uh, not male, of course, because they're always you know there to the bitter end of it, so they they wouldn't get the chance to get over and watch games. But you know what I mean? I think in general, I think you would see you would you would speak to a lot of the guys, and the, and they would always have their favourite soccer team. So I'm sure that they're all playing seven aside. I'm sure that they've all played eleven aside when they're growing up. Another one. Um, would be Philly McMahon. He would have been another one. He's a big Everton fan as well. He would have he would have had trials as a kid uh, over in England. I read his book and he he had trials and he was very close. He would, would have had to make a decision at some stage. And there's so many Gaelic football players. Um, David Clifford's another one. He's a big Celtic fan, isn't he? So you look at you, you speak to the guys or hear about the guys, and they all would have played. And I'm sure that a lot of the guys would have played to a great standard themselves. Even if you're, um, the thing that strikes me from all of that is even if you are like a, a student of strikers in soccer or you're a decent soccer player, like from a technique point of view, it's very difficult to, as you're running with the ball, like one of your biggest things is to try and get the ball away from your body, which in soccer it already is. So your positioning, the ball is already there. Yeah. It's in a perfect position. You can you can hit it when you want. Whereas there, there is that sort of, like I thought you sort of hit the nail on the head a little bit earlier when you were talking about like that second, there's somebody around you dragging like the 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 number of things to do as you're running with the ball, mm. including trying to get it away from your body, strikes me straight away as not conducive to always trying to. Mm. It, it might be part of the rationale for trying to blast the ball to the back of the net, I suppose. Yeah, yeah, I I, I would I would think that as well. I and I think there's probably that old adage of get a clean strike is the most important thing. I think that's probably something that they probably would have been taught as from a young age, isn't it? And invariably you get the clean strike as the, the the goals always look so much better when, when it's a clean strike, isn't it? Um, but I would look at, and it's not even, I'm saying it's not even looking for that. Uh, I listened to the pod there with what Paddy and, um, and James were saying on it, where they were saying, you know, sometimes in relation to both soccer and, and GEA, a goal is not always scored in the purest of forms. It, it can be that miss hit that goes into, into corners and it bobbles into the net. But, but the way I would look at it is it's more of a, a purposeful hit into the ground. I don't think in, in generally in, in football, I know they'd spoke about it. I, it rarely ever happens where, where, where players, I know they'd spoke about Morris taking penalties, hitting it down into the ground. But that's not what I'm saying. I think in general, I think you, you, you want to get that clean strike. I think you can do more with the ball. And if from just in answer to maybe to what you're saying, I think you have more time to think, certainly from free taking, free kicks, penalty taking. If you're looking at that penalty, um, sort of the getting the clean strike on that as well. If I'm looking at it more as terms with, with that bouncing ball type thing that he would have hit in the past. But I think in general, in soccer, you want to get open your feet and you want to, whether it's a side foot whip, whether it's a, the clean strike that you're looking for, 
in GAA, you don't necessarily have the luxury of, mm-hmm. of that time once you've opened your feet because you know full well that you are being dragged. And my my, my reasoning would be on it on that um, on that one on one with the goalkeeper. Just in in how I'd see it is, I think you've actually got more of a chance to actually hit it into the ground because if you've got someone on, say I've got someone on my right side and I'm trying to use my left foot to get a strike away, I'm holding the guy off or I'm trying to keep the guy away from the ball and then I'm trying to hit, get my mm-hmm. strike where it's going to be going into the ground almost, you know, and I think, I honestly, I, I think it's probably an easier skill to get a strike off doing that. Personally, I would think that's an easier skill. In, in Is it easier to, score, to, to execute that skill in which, in which sport? In, in GAA. In GAA, because because you're under pressure, you're not necessarily going to be able to get that clean strike anyway. So it's it's almost as as long as your thought process is get my my knee, get the leg over the ball, so you're going to hit down on the ball. You're going to hit it into the ground anyway, mm-hmm. you know. And I think I, I I think if that's in your mindset when you're working on that constantly, when you you know in general, you know they're, they're absolute machines, aren't they, the lads? So mm-hmm. the way that they train, I think I think it's something that you can educate your brain to do. Ozil was the uh, mm. example that Joe rightly brought up on yes. the show the other night. Um, yeah. That was the, that was the, the one. It's a great yeah. shout. Great yeah. shout, actually. Yeah, it was. Can't, a, uh, can't, can't claim ownership of it. Um, but yeah, I do think there's been, I definitely would have noticed, like, for, I think the, the quality of, uh, and we need to talk, about, talk to you about Everton and Canada, and we'll do that now, but I do think the quality of go, uh, goal attempts in GA has improved an awful lot over the last few years. Yeah, I'd agree. I'd I think Donahue's totally. chat with us about the... Um, what Colin Cooper said to him about not trying to blast it, try and place it into the back of the net. Yeah. I I think that sort of stuff. I think the Mulligan goal. I mean, that's mm, over ten years, more than that. Twenty yeah. five is it that far back? Um, probably helps shift the narrative a little bit as well. I do think there is. What um, about Ender Hessian's goal at the weekend? No, did you, oh, did you like that one? The drop. Oh, that was class, oh, eh? Nice. The drop. Beautiful. Keeper's gone. Yeah, that's, that's Shane Curran, mind you, made a good point about the keeper not being. That's, that's a whole other conversation about the keeper not being properly set. Well, well, he committed yeah. him though. He committed him with uh, body language alone, Adrian. Yeah, I thought you'd yeah. appreciate it. Everton are too good to go down. I'm paraphrasing, but that was pretty much what you told us uh, the last time we were on a couple of weeks back. And I mean, did I say that? Get... No, I don't think I said that. I just I said they'd be in trouble, serious trouble if they went down. I don't think they're too good to go down. Never. I don't think I would have said that. You're paraphrasing again. You're actually <laughs> I'm looking paraphrasing for an answer. Yeah, it's poor. Yeah. It's poor. It's poor. The, uh, yeah. looking for an answer. I, I'll again. be absolutely yeah. honest. I did go looking for the YouTube track about five minutes before we came on air, but then you came on early and I didn't get a chance to get the yeah. exact quote. So I, I appreciate that. Is I think I think Everton, Everton have got a strong squad, but I I think they're in with probably 10 or 12 other Premier League teams that could go down. And I, and that's the way that... That's You're more encouraged, that, I presume, yeah. since uh, Daesh is there and, or no? Um, I, watched, uh, I, I didn't see the, the Arsenal game, actually, the other night. Obviously, bad defeat, heavy defeat. I watched the Leeds game the other week and um, beat, they beat Leeds, obviously, 1-0. Uh, the Seamus Coleman goal. Great goal, by the way, as well. Great goal. Um, and, and he meant Top it. Player, and he meant it, which was great. Yeah, great goal. Um, but it was more the fact is it was actually quite a poor game. I thought honestly, I thought Everton were never really in trouble through the through the game. Leeds didn't really offer a, a, an awful lot. I didn't feel, and I felt Everton were comfortable. But it all it was almost as if Leeds were actually just trying to get a point from the game. Just come away from Goodison with something. Do not lose this game, and that that's ultimately what I f- I felt cost them. I didn't see Everton really being a side that were were, were really on the front foot. Um, Sorry, my father-in-law's just calling me there. Um, uh, 
No, I didn't see Everton being a side that were really on the front foot, really a side that was full of confidence. Um, there was a there was a little bit of negativity coming coming from the from sections of the supporters. You could hear that with one or two mistakes that was being made, and that's understandable given given the position that they're in. I, I'd feel, but um, I, I wasn't. I, I never felt even with winning that game. I thought, oh, this is a. It obviously was a great result, but I never felt, oh, Everton are out, out of the trouble now. Sean Dyche has really turned it around. They're going to go on now and, and beat sides. That's the way that I felt on it anyway. So it's, um, and the last two results have maybe proved that. I, I, I just think Everton are in a serious trouble at the moment. Serious, yeah. serious trouble. I know, I know the position says that, but it's, I think a lot of the players are still inhibited. I think there, there's nervousness around the, the play when they're, when they're going forward and, I just hope that's not going to be the thing that's going to come back to haunt them because I don't feel Sean Dyche's, Sean Dyche's mantra through management has always been solid foundations. Get the get the back four right or whichever system Everton are going to play going forward, get the system right. And that's from back to front. That is everybody back behind the ball when they don't have it. Uh, and I just, I'm looking at Everton right now and I just think, where's the goal going to come from? Where's this real creativity uh, spark going to come from? And, and, and I'm, it's killing me. It is killing me watching them. I have to say that right now. But even, even defensively as well, Kev, like, if you look at the Everton results in Sean Dyche's first game, so that was a great start, 1-0 against Arsenal, who were an absolute yeah. brilliant all season. Then the Merseyside derby, they were very poor, 2-0 against Everton. They uh, had the 1-0 win against Leeds, which was all Seamus Coleman, of course, great goal. Then, very disappointing last two games. Last two nil at home to Aston Villa, and then four nil the other night against Arsenal. If you were weren't paying attention for the last few weeks, you might assume that Frank Lampard is still in charge. If you just looked at the results, has Sean Dyche made a positive difference from what um, you've seen? You know, I, I think that's honestly, I think that's you, you couldn't you couldn't say that that's not a fair comment. What you say, I, I don't think much has changed. I think they got the the initial spark. I think it was a good performance against Arsenal and a grinding performance. I think it was something that. They didn't necessarily have under Lampard for, for a while, where they were able to just to, just to grind out a result, not necessarily playing well or playing great, but get that get the result, get over the line. They proved that against Leeds. I'm, I'm not saying Everton were were, uh, were awful against Leeds. That's not what I'm saying because I think there's there's a lot to be said about getting results when you're not necessarily at the top of your game. And I don't think Everton are going to be at the top of the game really until the end of the season because it's going to be about grinding every single week and, and getting results. That's something. That Sean Dyche's sides have have been used to over the years, or used to doing over the years. We've we've seen his Burnley sides get results when they've not necessarily been playing well or not necessarily been expected to get results. And I think that might be the way this season: just get over the line, get the job done. Um, but I wasn't. I mean, as I said, I didn't see the Arsenal game, but I know it was a poor result, obviously from from seeing it. But you kind of read clips from it or read reports from it, and it was the defending, and that's something that that. As you say, it's the same as how it was a few months ago or, or yeah. a month ago under, under Lampard. Nothing, nothing much has changed there. And that's going to be a process over a certain amount of time. That's not going to change overnight. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's just a gaze mistake for the for Saka's goal. Oh, sorry, for Martinetti's yeah. goal against Arsenal. It was just, he was dawdling. I mean, that's that's one-on-one for Sean Dyche. It's just unacceptable. But, you know, like if you look through that squad, Kev, they should be better than... But they are, shouldn't they? I mean, they have a decent spine. Yeah. Well, that's maybe going back to Adrian's point before when I said the two good to go down, which I didn't say that, but I th- I said that the squad and and I, I I'm more going to the to the point column on, on what they're actually paying in wages. Obviously, we all know the transfer fees, but Everton's wage bill, as I said many, I've said it a few times now that they they were they're paying or they're able to compete financially 
certainly across the board with Arsenal, they were able to compete financially with Spurs over the last six or seven years. That's the way that it's been since Farhad Mishiri went into Everton. Wages, the wage bill at Everton is astronomical. It's, and that was led, that's what led to having to sell Richarlison and the financial difficulties that they had last summer where it was the financial fair play was, um, was was a problem for Everton. Everton weren't weren't actually um, adhering to, to the to the Premier League rules, and that was that was ultimately what came back to bite them in, in having to sell Richarlison. So, I think overall, if you look at what they spent, and that was where I was going. Yes, they absolutely should be in a better position, and the, the caliber of players that they signed, they should be in a better position. But yeah. I've played for teams, Colin Wheat doesn't necessarily transcend. I always think back to the, to the days when I was at Sunderland and everybody said at the time, we're too good to go down. You've got too good a side. And you went down. We went down just due to the fact was that it was a, it was a grind when we, were, when we were playing at the Stadium of Light. It was, it, the, the, the team struggled playing there. We couldn't get the results because one bad pass went astray in the first five or ten minutes of the game. They felt the groans from the supporters. Me too. And it was difficult, I think, for the, for the players to get through each 90 minutes playing your normal game because I think we were feeling the heat from the supporters and I think that's the way it is at Everton right now. Mm. Are you in touch with Seamus Coleman? No, I'm not. I'm not. No, and I see him here and there, but no, I, I haven't seen him in, in, in a while. So no, I've, uh, I'm not in contact with him, no. Um, we want to, uh, Dave, Dave Forrest and Brentford coming up and I mean, they're not uh, they're uh, far from sort of giving, giving results at all, but uh, vital. I mean, the thing but, is you look at it though, don't you? You look at it and you think, well, Forrest and Brentford, but Forest form is is being excellent. Yeah. Forest are safe, more or less safe now. Brentford are they're looking right. upwards. They're looking top yeah. half. So, I mean, I, I, realistically, the way things are going for Everton, both those sides, Forest and Brentford, will be favourites for the games. Talk to us about Canada soccer. Um, it's anybody who's paying any sort of a passing uh, attention to it at all is in turmoil at the minute. Um, yeah, men's and women's teams both in dispute with the governing body. Obviously, the women's team are going to play Ireland and Perth in the World Cup on July twenty sixth. Yeah. Uh, they're talking about the boycott possibly of a of a camp there next month. Uh, they were yeah. on a strike recently, but then uh, Canada Soccer threatened to sue them, so they didn't. And the men's team obviously had, you talked about it last year, their own pay dispute um, yeah. a, around the World Cup as well with payments there. And uh, all of these things are very familiar to an Irish audience, I'm sure, as well. President resigned, I think, in the last few days. Is it nearing yeah. any... He, he certainly talked a great game in his, uh, in his resignation notes. Is it nearing a resolution, Kev, or what's the story? Well, he... <laughs> Nick Bontis, who you speak about there, resigned as president of Canada Soccer. Yeah, but he'd, he'd already got his position within CONCACAF. He's vice president now of CONCACAF. Yeah. So he's gone on to, obviously, a paid job. It's an unpaid job. It's a, volu- it's, it's, it's a volunteer's role or a voluntary role, um, president of Canada Soccer, which it shouldn't be. There's no accountability then, is there? I, I, I'd feel you're the head of a federation that's got a huge turnover every year and you have you have to have accountability when you you're dealing with the numbers, the financial implications that's going in there. So, both the men and the women um, women's sides have had issues. Underage sides have had issues. There's been a, there's been um, scandals over here as well um, with within uh, the women's game as well in the last ten or fifteen years that that has been highlighted and off the ball as well. Um, there's there's a number of issues around the team, and it's not going to go away. You're asking, I think you're asking now with Nick Bontis going, does it look likely like it's coming to an end? And I can't see it coming to an end. No, there's there's, there's so much to be done. Both the men and the women of, I think uh, I think I'm right in saying they have agreed pay parity, so there's going to be the same uh, match fee for both men and women. 
which is probably being a given now across um, across international um, the international game. It should be there now. It shouldn't even be an issue. Mm. But but also they're they're, they're agreeing. Uh, they did agree last summer on the World Cup win bonuses, where they shared each other's win bonuses as well. Which obviously, with the men qualifying for uh, for Qatar, the women were due a, a big pay for a, a, a big pay a big payment from that as well. Which was the same with the US. The US have got that in place, but there's there's a long way to go. It seems, Adrian, a really long way to go. Um, they're on about cutting the budget in terms of preparation for games. Um, the women, obviously, as you say, they've got the World Cup coming up. They play, they play us. Um, with that, that'll be a huge game. Obviously, a big game for Ireland, given Canada's ranking in world football right now and what they've achieved coming into the, the World Cup. One of the favourites as as Olympic champions. So there's a there's a there's a long way to go, Adrian. There's, there's, there's been issues for such a long time. Uh, numerous, numerous issues. There's financial uh, issues regarding where money has been filtered to from the game, going back into various. Uh, various uh, avenues. There's there's so much to get into, Adrian, that it'd be so hard for me to really nail down exactly what it is. Mm. But uh, just by Nick Bontis resigning, it, this issue is not going to go away for, for both the men and the women's games, uh, given what the women have achieved as well over the last um, 10 or 15 years. And given the ranking and given how well they're thought of across the game, they they feel they've been mistreated on numerous occasions. And as I said, they they probably deserve so much more respect than they've been given by uh, by many people within the game over here. Yeah, I was uh, there. Go on, Colin. Sorry, sorry. I was just going to say, Adrian. Like, it sounds like the issues have at least been like acknowledged at a basic level, Kev. But for you, is it still being talked about sufficiently enough, or does it need to dominate the agenda more, not just across the sporting news in Canada, but news overall? Well, I think it, it, it seemed to come to a head before the, the, the World Cup, or the men's World Cup over in Qatar column, and that's the way it seemed to be. It looked like the, the, there was some sort of agreement that was coming into place, but that went out the window recently. We saw um, on TV Christine Sinclair, the, the women's international record goal scorer uh, of all time. Um, she has come out and she was the one that was publicly slamming Canada soccer. This is what Adrian was talking about before. They, they threatened to strike going into the She Believes Cup. This is still potentially, it could happen down the line. The men uh, went on strike last summer. They missed uh, an international game last summer. Y- clearly, there's a lot of issues. And it's not just, everyone thinks it's about a financial issue. You know, obviously, pay parity across both men and women's sides of the game seems to be that there's something that everybody's talking about. It's not that. It's actually the money that's going into, as I said, preparation for international games. It seems like the, you know, we're talking in terms of uh, hotels for the players. We're talking about um, hit for the players. You know, it's ringing a bell on so many different levels. So what we've heard coming from from our own organisation over the last 10 or 15 years, isn't it? The, the women, the women's game is has been treated very, very differently from from the men's game. And the men feel they've been mistreated also. So there's, there's a column, there's so many issues. You said yeah. it's been spoken about and that is a good thing. That's, I think with the men qualifying for Qatar first time since 1986, I think they were able to, to create a platform for this, for the talking points to come out and really raise serious issues against Canada soccer and how they were doing things. But, um, I think there's just by Nick Bontis going away, the, the, it, it almost seems like it's got to be a root and, bra- a root and branch change, absolutely across uh, across the whole of Canada soccer for for the players to, to to actually change the mentality. That's got to be the thing, but also the supporters now because the supporters are actually starting to realise what has happened. 
And I go back even to my time playing, Colin. There were so many Canadian players that just didn't want to play for the country. They wouldn't even bother getting on a plane to fly back to play uh, because of the preparation, because of how they felt they were being treated. So this is not now in the last six months or last year. This is historical. This is what's gone on for such a long time. Definitely shades of, uh, I was listening to Emma Byrne on with uh, Graham Hunter, a big podcast recently, and it just reminded me of all that stuff that went on at that time around their own um, dispute, obviously, that they had with the association. Uh, there's obviously a possibility as well that this binds the players together in uh, in a big way ahead of the World Cup, which might be a net uh, loss for us, but I think everybody would be... I fancy us. I fancy us to take them. Really? I fancy us to take them. Yeah. yeah. Big scalp for our, the Irish girls. Our um, CNBCXZLR127 sending you out. <laughs> no, no, I'm not. I'm not covering it at all and doing nothing for it. No, no. But uh, I'd be looking forward to it. it, is, it I don't. Know, what, what time? What time? What time would it be? Irish time. Those games. They're going to be early hours here. I think three and four in the morning. I think it's not uh, going to be great for for uh, for watching. Eleven hours ahead. So for a.m. seven a.m. seven a.m. eight a.m. Yeah, it'll be like early evening. So you yeah. could come on, Kev. Could. Come on with a call. It's a good idea, Kev. That's not a bad idea. At all. No, I do indeed. miss you. I do miss it, you from November. I, I do. I, know, I must say. I know. I know. I know. We used to have a good chat before we went. We were building there, something, yeah, and then it was. It, yeah. just, it, it all ended. You know, well, it's, yeah. it's down to the execs and off the ball. Uh, oh, listen, uh, we'll, have a, we'll have to have a separate chat. Yeah. We've been. I've been mm-hmm. waiting Your for. Uh, I've been. I've been waiting for the lads to ask me to come on for a long time, but it's almost as if. Anyway, I just take it like a pinch of salt. Easily forgotten, as far as I'm concerned. Talk about fake news. Kev, come on. Thanks, million. Thanks very much. Cheers, guys. Thanks, lads. OTB AM with Gillette Labs. Get the ultimate shave or your money back. Neon Night Edition, available now.